0: Welcome to episode 44 of Central Intelligence Cinema. The Road to Reckoning starts here. Today, Jason and I kick things off with our Burj Khalifa-sized review of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. But without further ado, take it away, Pierce. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock.
1: Welcome to the CIC Initiating Security Clearance.
2: My name is Napoleon Solo. Bond. James Bond. Natasha Romanoff. Ethan Hunt.
0: Felix Elsa Faust.
2: Identity confirmed. Now, pay attention, WS7. Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Your
1: mission, should you decide to accept it. Do you expect me to talk? I'm in
2: the this moron is giving me everything. Yeah, baby! Special agent, you're not having a very special day, you? I... But remember, nothing ever goes according to plan. Tom, what
0: do you think you're doing? Keeping the British handouts. This state will self destruct in five seconds.
1: Recording from an undisclosed location in the world's largest Carvana car vending machine, it's a Central Intelligence Cinema podcast. I'm Jason Greenberg, and with me, as always, Ben Esslinger. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. And welcome back to the CIC, the podcast
0: that begins today, The Road to Wreckity. Good evening, Mr. Hunt. Are you sure your line is secure? Uh, I got it. Oh, man, do I get it. Central Intelligence Cinema
2: now has a secure line to the IMF. Benji?
0: Join the IMF. See the world
1: on a monitor. In know, was it.
2: That doesn't sound impossible. Next time, I'm to seduce the rich guy. What are you waiting for? I'm jumping out a window! Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Central Intelligence Cinema presents Road to Reckoning. You can understand you're very upset. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. Sir,
0: Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny. The state will self-destruct in five seconds. Very excited, very excited, very excited. We are talking, of course, today in particular about Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. I am so excited. I've been waiting pretty much a year to do this review. I've had... Notes on my phone that I intended to talk about
1: on my phone for a year to talk about this movie. I'm it, very it might excited. be Ben's favorite Mission Impossible it, movie. Maybe. It might be. It might be. And I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, maybe, maybe not. It may not
0: maybe be a thousand percent my favorite Mission Impossible movie. So expect a lot of maybe uh, annoying, maybe endearing gushing yeah. uh, from a little, little
1: <laughs> a little bit of fangirling.
0: A little bit of fangirling from me because I do love this movie and I'm very excited to talk about it. But uh, this sort of uh, kicks off our what we're calling the Road to Reckoning. We'll be reviewing this plus the next two uh, Mission Impossible movies on the way towards uh, July for the premiere of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Exciting times in the world of Mission Impossible.
1: Can I just say that, you know, they're they're teetering on the brink of too many words in that new title. Oh, it's so too many like, words. Like I think there's like one we have one word left and I I'm just gonna write it off and not go.
0: Well it's, <laughs> it's a huge pain in the ass to hashtag too. Right. Whenever I'm doing any sort of social media, it's just oh, my phone just rode. Two rec no, there's a K in there. Uh-huh. Reckoning. I mean, <laughs> part one, and then if you put the part one in there on yeah. top of it, it's like, oh my god, I don't, it I don't count fit those on one
1: dramatically. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we pretty much hit our syllable limit with Operation Fortune. <laughs> Ruse de gear God, if they throw in a part one on that one, I'm like, hell no. <laughs> If it takes me like 2 minutes to say the title, I don't want to watch the movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, today very very excited to get into uh the fourth installment of Mission Impossible, but, but don't uh, call
1: it Mission Impossible 4.
0: No, because Tom hates that. He does. He really hates that. He worked very hard to make sure it wasn't called Mission Impossible 4. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> which is fair, you know, you get your you get your Terminator, you get your T2, you get Indeed. your T3, but yeah. T4, nah. T5, nah, nah, nah. Nah, nah. We can stop at 3.
0: Well, uh, I have a stack of notes for this movie that is taller than the Burj Khalifa. So, uh, should we uh, jump into this sucker? Yeah,
1: we, we ought to. That way we can get done, 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 or get done before the sun goes down.
0: <laughs> Alrighty
2: then. The secretary is dead. The four of us are all that remains of the IMF. No safe house, no support, or extraction. Everyone connected with this man is an asset with valuable information. We come back with our target, but we don't come back.
0: Okay, so Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, released in 2011, directed by Brad Bird of Pixar fame largely. Uh, he did The Incredibles, Ratatouille, and then after this movie, he directed uh, Tomorrowland and Incredibles 2. And don't forget his
1: greatest movie of all time is yes. The Iron Giant. The Iron Giant, yes. I mean, anything that's got a 50-foot-tall robot that wants to be Superman is definitely going to be in my wheelhouse.
0: Damn skippy. (laughs) This was his uh, first uh, live-action movie. It was his uh, live-action directorial debut. Producer credits go to J.J. Abrams... Um, other people who almost directed this movie included J.J. again, as well as Edgar Wright. Uh, so I mean, if you don't know who Edgar Wright is, you should really go look You him should be up. listening
1: to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, Let's I mean, just be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, seriously, if you don't know who Ed, it is, Edgar Wright of Edgar Wright fame. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but Cornetto Trilogy, just look it up online, kids. And then also uh, Ruben Fleischer... Uh, who did Zombieland was was up for hmm. directing this movie as well, so kind of interesting. Hmm. Although I don't think I'd want to see I'd I'd watch an Edgar Wright mission movie. I, Although it might be almost too silly. Like I, Brad, I, Brad Brad Bird tests the limits of, of silliness. silliness. He absolutely in this does. movie. And I think if we got Edgar Wright, it might have
1: teetered on like maybe not we maybe not silly, think, but just weird. I think that 2011, 2010, 2011, Edgar Wright would not have been a good fit with Tom Cruise. Uh, I think if you took the more m- mature Edgar Wright, who, yes. who made Baby Driver, who made uh, the the w- most recent one with the ghost chick, uh, with Anna oh, Taylor-Joy.
0: Anna, Anna Taylor, oh, Anna Taylor-Joy. is the, I don't remember the I, name I of that movie. I can't remember it either. I've it was a fantastic movie. A, yeah.
1: But both of them were much more straight- With little bits of good comedy thrown in, but...
0: Yeah, they weren't quite so whimsical the way some of his...
1: So if they want to do a a Mission Impossible, not nine, but the ninth Mission Impossible movie, Edgar would be a good choice now. Yes. But I don't think he would have been as good a choice back then. And maybe that's why Tom was like, you know, no, no. (laughs) No, I only do comedy with Ben Stiller.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because he can do a perfect impression of me. Yeah, and
1: I get to put in makeup and look like a... Big, overweight, balding, hairy business mogul. I'm, th- yeah, no, we're not doing that
2: here.
0: <laughs> as far as producing goes, J.J. Uh, Abrams did produce along with uh, Brian Burke, who did Super Eight, Lost, and Cloverfield. And then, of course, Tom Cruise has producer credits on literally every Mission Impossible movie. So Yeah, no doubt. Tom's going to Tom. Uh, Writing-wise, Josh Applebaum and Andre Nemec, um, both who worked on Alias, they did tons of the writing on this. And they were probably picks from JJ since Abrams was a producer on Alias. And the thing is with Mission Movies, especially The Last Three, a lot of the time these aren't really written... Until they start shooting it half the time. Right. And and in this case, it should be stated that Christopher McQuarrie was brought in during the shooting of it to do some major reworking of, of the script. Often... 30 minutes before they were shooting, there's a very famous photograph that I have not seen, but I've heard of where they're literally in a room. They're in the staged room. It's not an actual room in the Burj Khalifa. It's just the room that they use for that scene
2: mm-hmm.
0: where you've got Christopher McQuarrie sitting on the bed, writing, rewriting things. And then you've got two very worried as shit producers sitting on the end of the bed wondering how much it's going to cost them right. to
1: do Make happen what he's writing, right? So, <laughs> so, and, and this has got to be where he got into Tom Cruise's Good Graces because if if he could successfully translate whatever Tom was trying to change around into something very quick, Tom's gonna be like, "Oh, you're my guy." Yeah, yeah, and you that's are my guy.
0: This definitely was the genesis of the MacQuarie Cruise, you know, dynamic duo that that made up Rogue Nation and Fallout and oh. and everything going forward now. I did want to talk just really quickly, and we normally don't talk too much about this, but editing. But I only bring it up because they brought in Paul Hirsch to right. edit this the movie. Legendary. Legendary Paul Hirsch. I mean, he's done Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Footloose, Trains, Planes, and all. I mean, the list goes on forever. He's made every great movie you've seen in the last 40 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely,
1: so. definitely the editor's editor from that standpoint.
0: Yeah, particularly in for his generation, really. Yeah, and it's such a smart move to bring in somebody like this with a first-time live-action director, correct. In Brad Bird, correct. But and and I'm not trying to slight Bird either because
1: Bird is very astute. He well, he's you know, a very visual director, which I think comes out of animation. Yeah, you, know, you have kind of a limited, uh, you have an unlimited imagination as an animated movie director because they can literally make anything you ask for right and so bringing in not only producers who can reel you in but then an editor that can help reel in that high visual sense yeah makes perfect perfect because you got to think about it paul hirsch was a guy that edited star wars now we all know george lucas is george lucas (laughs) and lucas gonna lucas Right. right lucas is gonna lucas but Can you imagine if he'd been the only one editing that movie without an experienced hand to say, "Eh, maybe it works better this way, George?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right? For sure. You need an editor who can push back. You know, I've read interviews about him and listened to interviews with him, and he is not afraid to speak his mind. No. Paul Hirsch is not afraid to speak (laughs) his mind. Um, As far as photography goes, the cinematographer was Robert Ellswit, another huge name in the business. You know, he did Magnolia, Good Night and Good Luck, There Will Be Blood. There's a funny story actually about <laughs> Ellsworth, not necessarily bumping heads with Brad Bird, but sort of they had a meeting with Brad Bird early on in the in the production of this movie where they were scared for him that he wasn't asserting himself. The, like Ellsworth was scared that Bird wasn't asserting himself enough. Okay. Um, and the story goes that Bird was merely just trying to listen for a little while to kind of get a feel for how everything is working, how re- like
1: right. how the people are working. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly, and that sort of thing. He did bump heads with Ellsworth once, literally. Well, not literally, not physically, but <laughs> the scene at the Indian Palace where the camera sort of lowers and there's a there's a fountain shooting water, mm-hmm. and you see. Uh, the, well,
1: they use that fountain to kind of direct. Yeah, your your attention as it moves across the screen,
0: right? And 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 specifically to see
1: that uh, it's the Russian agent,
0: yeah, yeah, the Russian agent. um, It comes down into where the fountain area is so that you can specifically see the Russian agent there that's looking for crews. Right. And Bird wanted to do this practically. He did not. He wanted the camera to literally be lowered down. And to do that, they kind of had to build a rig right, to, to make this happen. Well, the crew and Ellsworth, they all sort of like kind of pushed this off and pushed it off and pushed it off and pushed it off during the day that they were supposed to shoot it and so and bird understood what was going on he sort of read between the lines he's sure. like now nah, fuck this and he kind of threw a fit and the story goes is that he 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 didn't throw a full on fit but he threw enough of a fit that tom cruise who was way on the other side of this huge set like a just almost like a dog could hear bird like <laughs> like losing his shit uh-huh. and he came all the way across you know to to the other side of this huge stage or whatever they were on and he's like well, what's going on what's going on and and bird basically described that he was he was he wanted to have this shot he needed the shot and everybody's you know like pushing it off and pushing it off and tom cruise apparently was like all right well let's get the fucking shot and as right. soon as tom cruise said it everybody snapped it was like snapping fingers and suddenly everybody hopped to right. and did exactly what bird wanted yeah
1: yeah which you know it, it's that's got to be a very weird dynamic on a Tom Cruise movie, or a Harrison Ford movie, yes, or a Jack Nicholson movie. Anybody who has been in the business long enough to know how everything works, yeah, and has—they're carrying the entire film, right. And if you can get them in your pocket, well, you, you would think you can he pretty much do what you want because Cruise is going to have decision on who's going to get hired as director, right? As exactly. Not, not only as a producer, but as Tom Cruise, right? Right. And you get people like like Harrison Ford. Basically interviews the directors before he gets into any movie to see if there's somebody he wants to work with or not. Right. So these people have this level. So I can't imagine, particularly being a first time director, being somebody in your field, right? Because Uh Brad Bird in animation is a guy, right? Right. But coming in and all of a sudden I'm in charge of this, but not really. Tom Cruise is in charge of this, right? <laughs> and I mean, granted, they did well, but you have to. Man, I mean, I'm sure Abrams had the same problem with three, absolutely, because that was one of his first big deals that he got well, into. Well, and that
0: was another movie. You know, we're about to get into numbers here. Three was another movie that was straddled by budget, right? And and so that was another thing where Abrams also, since this that was like one of his first forays into big. budget movies and what have you. He probably ran into a lot of walls as well as he was trying to make that movie.
1: Right. And, you know, you start to think, well, how would these movies turn out if Tom Cruise hadn't been in them? Yeah. Right? Because Tom swings a pretty big hammer when shit
0: needs to get done. Right. Well, and I think part of the reason why Ghost Protocol, in my opinion, works far better than 3 is also because now you've got the former director of Mission Impossible working as producer. Right. And then you've got Tom Cruise as well. So now you've got all these people who can like help push the... Push uh, the
1: agenda that the director's looking exactly, for. Exactly, yeah. exactly. For sure. So
0: speaking of uh, numbers, the budget for this movie was $145 million, which for... Uh, 2011, probably it probably was a little on the low side. And I know that at this point, the franchise was still on rocky ground because MI3 did the worst domestically of any of the Mission movies. But this movie made 209.3 million domestic, 485.3 international, and then worldwide, they made 694.7 million. So
1: they, got, they made they, their money back. They
0: definitely well, I mean, this was the movie that really turned the franchise around it into, did. into something. Like a thing, the, like it became a thing after this movie.
1: Yeah, it, it, you know, all the elements were in place with three, yeah, to kind of where we're, where Mission Impossible was going to depart from being a, the TV show remake and kind of move into. This is where it all really I like, think gelled gelled together yeah. as what you were going to see Mission Impossible be going forward. Yeah, Indiana Jones as a spy. That was where they finally figured out what their hook was. Right, he's competent, he's smart, but he's constantly in situations that are completely beyond his control, and he's simply reacting to get what he needs done because he's focused on it. Right. (laughs) Music, they
0: brought uh, Michael Giacchino back for his second, which kind of makes sense, too, because Giacchino had actually worked with Bird prior to this, and then obviously he worked with Abrams on
1: three, so it's kind of a perfect fit there. Michael Giacchino is... I'm going to go out and say this here, kids, and if you disagree, you can let us know, but I think he is the John Williams of this generation. He's fantastic. He's really good. He can work electronic music. He can work orchestral music. There's a reason why he's been kind of doing a lot of the stuff on the sides for any of Disney's Star Wars projects. His Rogue One music, I think, was probably the most William-esque of the non-Williams composers, and it, it, it works really well. But I think he's probably, the, like I said, the John Williams of this generation. You can tell what his soundtracks are, and you know yeah as inherently as if you were listening to Williams or Jerry goldsmith or anybody else it's it's chiquino turchino <laughs>
0: So getting into the uh, the actors and actresses in this one, Tom Cruise obviously is of course back as Ethan Hunt. This time with a I like to call a halfway between Ugh. Mission Impossible three and Mission Impossible two haircut. Thank
1: God he abandoned the long haircut thing after this. <laughs> I
0: see. It I, just looks silly. Here here's my thing. I actually don't mind his hair in this one because it's it's like a it's like a compromise. Yeah, it's and, not as
1: egregious and- as
0: three, but oh my god. You mean it's two? It's two, rather. Yeah. Have. Now, <laughs> I and I actually think it plays given the fact that this movie starts with him in prison. So, yes. you, you kind of think, oh, well, maybe his hair was long because you know he doesn't get his hair cut all the time while well, he's stuck in a Russian prison. Yada, yeah, yeah yada, it could
1: yada. be. It. I, I, I'll buy the logic of it, man. I hate it. <laughs> I, I, I have never liked him with long hair, and I don't think I ever will. I mean, the, the image of Tom Cruise that's burned firmly into my brain is risky business and Top Gun.
0: Okay. Right? So that's so, that's all, how you like your Tom yeah,
1: Cruise. All your up and downing with the hair and the length and everything else? No. No. Just <laughs> just stick with what's good for you, Tom. <laughs> so uh, as far as the uh,
0: quote-unquote Bond girls, as I, as I call it sometimes, we've got uh, Jane Carter... Or Agent Carter, but I know not the Agent Carter. Wrong Agent Carter. She comes in number eight. (laughs) But uh, Jane Carter played by Paula Patton. (sighs) Robin Thicke, what were you thinking, man? Just Paula Patton is something. Robin Thicke. You mean Beetlejuice?
1: Do you know who Robin Thicke? Is? I know who Robin Thicke. Is. <laughs> okay. Did you remember his Beetlejuice suit from the Miley oh, Cyrus thing with the oh, black and the white stripes? No, yeah. I Oh man. Apparently, I know Robin Thicke better than you do. <laughs> Apparently so. All right. <laughs> Asking me if I know who Robin I'm Thicke is? Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> he's uh, what's his face? Thick from uh, growing pains. He's his kid. Yeah, yeah. And then he's on uh, that game show. Alan Thick. That's yeah. Oh, and then the Masked Singer. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> don't get me started on the Masked Singer and how it's. Basically, the, in, the final indicator of the end of civilization as we know it. <laughs> Moving on.
0: Moving on to things that Jason really likes. Uh, Leah Sadu is in this movie. Yeah, buddy. Pri- prior to uh, Spectre. Prior to much of anything, really. Yeah, yeah. As uh, Sabine Moreau. She, I think she's better in this movie. Than she is in either of it's the Bond because she got movies. to play a bad guy. I know, and she's
1: awesome at she's it. She's fantastic at it. At, a, at an assassin level. Well, no like less. when we were talking about the the world is not enough, I said she would probably have been better. Yes. As the bad guy in that, because she just would have been. <laughs> <laughs> not that Sophie Marceau wasn't great, but. I just like. Could you imagine putting that girl into just with the sultry and the oohs and the ahs? And, yes. And she has that, such that innocent look on her face that when you find out she's a bad person, it would you're have like,
0: been way more convincing in the world is not enough if, if exactly Leah Sadoo is is doing the the enchantment so to speak or right the, you know. Anyway.
1: Although honestly, she was probably like. 16. yeah so a little it too probably young wouldn't have worked but you know <laughs> yeah and then for about
0: five minutes at the very end of this movie <laughs> we have Michelle Monahan reprising her role as Julia but that's about it but as far as other major characters um of course we've got Benji back
1: yay yay Simon Pegg
0: Simon Pegg is the is the character who holds this franchise together He's I know it's definitely the glue at, at least as far as I mean, obviously Tom holds the franchise together, but Yeah, but
1: Benji is Benji's your character. Right. He's your entryway into all the nonsense that's happening. Exactly. He's the everyman, he's the guy that reacts to all this nutso shit that's going
0: on around you. Ugh, I just love him to pieces. <laughs> and then, of course, of course, Luther Stickle is back. Ving Rames, Granted, is for like five minutes. Yeah,
1: he's he has almost the exact amount of screen time as Michelle Monahan. Does. Right, exactly. And yet, I'm glad he's there.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I'm sure he was great to get a paycheck for oh, showing just... up and working one day.
0: One day. And then we've got uh, Jeremy Renner, who is in as Brant who initially was actually intended to be Cruise's replacement going forward, which is weird considering how the franchise has evolved and, yeah. and and just how physically capable Tom Cruise obviously still is. Was there, I'll admit, I didn't do a whole huge deep dive, but why
1: were they even thinking of replacing Tom Cruise?
0: I think a lot of it has to do with how bad MI3 did. That's okay. I think I think a lot of that the lower budget the fact that they wanted to bring in Renner, who's younger, and kind of the hot new thing, at least at that time. And
1: probably a lot cheaper hot new thing. And a
0: lot cheaper than Tom Cruise. Maybe they thought that you know Mission wasn't going to go anywhere. And then mm. Ghost Protocol showed up and said, fuck you guys, yep. we're, we're here Guess for you good. Guess you were wrong. Yeah, exactly. Apparently, they were going to end the movie with Ethan Hunt becoming the new IMF secretary, which is kind of what I want for eight,
1: <laughs> right? actually. I just... It was because so- they're going to make uh, Haley Atwell the new star of all the movies, right? <laughs> Jason hopes. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink.
0: And then we've got uh, kind of a, another brief appearance by the IMF secretary, played by Tom Wilkinson, which is kind of interesting that they went with him. But we'll 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 speak more on if- casting here and.
1: What, what if it's the same IMF secretary, but every time he shows up, he's wearing a mask? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's that an, would explain a lot, really. That would ex-
0: you know, the writers should be listening to this podcast right now because <laughs> that would really help them out of a lot of issues with script writing going forward. I'm just saying. And then we've got the main bad guy, aka Cobalt, aka Hendrix, played by the late Michael Nyquist. Pretty fantastic, actually.
2: Yeah.
1: I don't... You know, he didn't get a whole lot of time. Yeah, he didn't
0: get a whole lot of time. And it's my understanding that they did want more from him, but just the way that things sort of shaked out, it just...
1: You know, it it was kind of nice in that, you know, normally in a movie like this, you're going to give the villain his, you know, I must explain. You got to give his monologue. Yes. You got to give him a chance to be evil at least three times.
0: Speaking of that, actually, I think that now that... I'm thinking about it. I think what they wanted to, at the very beginning of this movie, actually, they wanted to have a scene where Nyquist's character is kind of going off on some sort of rant about nuclear weapons and how it's part of evolution to essentially yeah, well, get rid of it, humans to right. like to help the planet or whatever, which they kind of show. They, they do in
1: that video in that the they're thing. watching in yeah, the train. But, but it doesn't really... No, because it, there's no impact because it's not happening.
0: Right. And so, initially, it's, it sounded like they wanted to have that towards the beginning, but they chose against it because the prison breakout scene is so good.
1: Right. No, and again, I think it helps because your focus on this whole thing is the mission. It's the IMF team. Right. Right? You know what the bad guy is. You get the general gist of what he's trying to accomplish. Uh, you know, I, I'm sort of on the fence. There are sometimes I want to see uh, a mugging, monologuing bad guy. And there's sometimes when I don't. And so mm-hmm. this yeah. was kind of, I think it, it benefited from the fact that it was all about the team trying to address the issue rather than beating you over the head with what the issue was.
0: Right, right. This is very much a, can the team finally get along and, and become competent together? Right. Under, to-
1: once again, adverse circumstances.
0: Right, Exactly. And Mission has always kind of had a villain problem up until Rogue Nation.
1: Yeah, like uh, well, well, that's not entirely
0: true because because uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman Philip Seymour was, was Hoffman fantastic, was really good, and
1: he was doing a lot more of that monologue-y... He yeah. was way more involved in in that in his movie than. Nyquist was in this one, but... It's almost unfortunate that MI3 didn't do as good as it could
0: have, because if they would have brought back Hoffman... Oh, God, yeah. Holy cow. Would
1: have, it would have been hard to recover from a you know car bumper to the head, but yeah, <laughs> um, it's mission impossible. You can make things happen. That's right. That's right. Um, and then we've got the other baddie,
0: uh, Wistrom, played by uh, Samuli Edelman. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Not sure. I mean... He's just sort of there as a, as a, you know, like- he's there
1: to be a mask for Nyquist
0: later. Yeah, like, I honestly don't entirely understand what he does in this
1: movie, like,
0: in actuality, other than hook up some wires towards the end of the
1: movie. If he'd been a Bond movie, he would have had, like, a claw for a hand, or a laser eye, <laughs> right. or maybe, like, you know, a set of metal balls. Just <laughs> can't do teeth, because that's already Bowls been done. Of steel. You know, he'd have been walking around, clinkety-clink, clinkety-clink, <laughs> and Nyquist would have went, do you think you could just perhaps hold that? <laughs> Because it's getting rather annoying. (laughs) And then finally, we've
0: got kind of the tragic character, uh, Hannaway, played by Josh Holloway. I actually thought he was really good in his limited little stint. Now, I will say, too, that this movie was supposed to have this big extravagant uh, snow scene. That he was the main person in, like a snowmobiling type situation. So
1: basically a Bond uh, pre-title sequence.
0: Yeah. And it just ended up getting cut short. And so unfortunately, he's he's only in there for a limited amount of time, but...
1: God, that would have been kind of fun because especially if they'd had him in goggles and a parka, so you're thinking it's Ethan the whole time. Yeah. And then he makes a reveal and it's not Ethan. You're like, whoa, whoa, what? Well, I mean, Mission 8 is filming currently
0: I'm up just saying. Near,
1: near the North Pole right now as we speak. I, so. can, I can see it right now because then, you know, in comes Leah Sadu with her little, I guess she'd have like a pillbox hat on like, yeah, uh, yeah. Her, like Sophie Marceau <laughs> did. And why are you wearing a Russian furry hat? Like pew, pew, pew because <laughs> i had able to kill you. And then she'd take it and she'd ski off. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would have liked that a little bit more, um, but you're right. He did. It was funny because I'm again, I probably haven't watched this movie in, a while, 10 uh-huh. years maybe. And I actually thought that Holloway was going to turn out to be Cruz with a mask on. Oh, that would have been right? cool. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I, I I didn't remember this at all. So I just thought that would have been kind of funny. But then he ended up being dead. I'm like, well, well that's definitely not Tom Cruise then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like, especially the first
0: three, and this one, I guess you could, you could include it in this one as well, is all the missions seem to have like one bug in them. And I feel like casting was the one bug in this movie mm-hmm. to a degree. To a degree. I think most people were pretty great in this movie, but you know, as far as the villain thing goes, they initially intended to have Harrison Ford as the villain, although the universe might have exploded.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't I...
0: <laughs> if you have Tom Cruise and, Harrison, and Ford Harrison
1: Ford in the same movie, the universe might explode. Well, plus throwing in an inexperienced director and a lot of other things along right.
0: with that. And and if that wasn't enough. They were going to try and bring in Gene Hackman as the IMF secretary. Dude, that would have been badass. That would have been so good. Oh, my God. And you never would have had him just being killed. Well, maybe maybe he would have allowed for... For him to just be off in the in the limo,
1: I can tell you he wouldn't have got shot in the head. He'd have had a death scene.
0: Yeah, if it had been Gene Hackman, <laughs> right?
1: Something where he could Cruz, actually. Cruise would have been like, "Go get him, Ethan," and then Ugh, <laughs> kind <Yeah>. of deal. <laughs>
0: I mean, just imagine if those two were cast.
1: Well, they, they'd never be
0: able to afford it, though. Well, never,
1: not a million years. Well, I don't. I don't know. I did again. I did. I didn't do my homework. Um, But Cruz has probably taken points on this thing. Oh, absolutely. And Ford probably would have dialed it in for points too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's how you get big names in there is by saying, well, you get to reap the benefits of your labor. Right. I almost feel like it would have been too much.
0: I think so too. You'd have a hard time focusing on... Who you're right. supposed to focus well, on, because you've got all these people that are like, whoa, you're exactly. being hypnotized by them.
1: And you're wasting this opportunity for what it effectively is two actors that you want to see acting with each other in every single scene, Right. not coming in until they get to the Carvana machine. Right. And, and there's no dialogue. Right. And you kind of step back from the movie in the scenes where they're not both in it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Well, and you know, it's the Red October, Hunt for Red October conundrum. They wanted Harrison Ford for that too, but it ultimately ended up going to Alec Baldwin because Harrison Ford said, it's Sean Connery's movie. Right. And I get no opportunity to interact with him as an actor until the very end of the movie. Yeah. So for him, he wasn't... If he had been able to act with... Sean Connery through the whole thing he'd have been in you know it's too bad they never got together and did a movie that did well no they were in, like every scene together <laughs> right um, I mean that would have yeah, it's, been it's great truly, truly one of the cinematic tragedies <laughs> of the 20th century if you ask me but I mean he literally turned it down because Sean Connery's part's better than mine <laughs> and I think he would have had the same problem here yeah even because we don't know what the initial script looked like, it could have been much more Nyquist heavy, right? Or or Cobalt heavy. And Harrison, certainly with Harrison Ford, it, it would have been right. But I just don't think this would have been the movie that you brought the two of them together to star in, right? With one another. Here's the other thing how old, okay? So Harrison Ford
0: right now is what 80? Yeah, okay. And so it's 2023. So that means that in 2011, he would have been 68. So here's the thing I'm thinking about. One of the things that struck me about this movie that I still have a hard time believing is how the hell Ethan can't catch up to Hendrix in all these running scenes where he's running after Hendrix and somehow Hendrix is out fucking running
1: Ethan Hunt of all people. Right, right. And it's maybe the most unplausible part of the whole film for me. Well, and you know what? I when I was watching it and I was, you know, sending you texts and everything on uh-huh. I'm like, if Ethan had just stopped him in the Kremlin, this movie's over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If he knew something was up, why didn't you just tackle him? What was he there gonna lose by stopping the guy in the trench coat? This is Ethan Hunt we're talking about. This guy right. is almost superhuman. He's got
0: photographic memory. Right. He, you know, like he can draw perfect. Uh,
1: profile. On a hand with a he, ballpoint pen. Yeah, he can draw perfect profile <laughs> sketches on his hand. Even though certain people who are archers in other universes are very critical of the artwork. What an ass. <laughs> well, it's crude, but I think I can get the idea. <laughs> Fuck you, Hawkeye. <laughs> what an ass. But also, getting back
0: to casting, now that we've gone off <laughs> on a tangent, um, they also wanted to bring back Vanessa Redgrave to play Max all the way back from the first mission, which you can tell in this movie, there's a moment that we will definitely get to where they clearly, that was a last minute not get, where they just, at the very last minute, the studio wouldn't put up the money to get her.
1: Well, clearly she was going to be what the Fogs role was yes, in this. Yes, yes. Which would have been so much better. So much better. I have be- nothing to, to against have that guy. Them- he did a solid job for what he was supposed to, but to have that level of... Class. Oh my god! And to see and them the flirty flirt, flirty. to yeah. see them flirt again. Oh yeah. god, it
0: would have been so good. I, uh, you
1: know what? If that movie uh, got made now, Cruise would have been like, "I'll pair myself." Oh, I know. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> Cruise would have been like,
0: "I'm doing it for the movie. I will pay it myself." <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you at the movies. I always think about that. <laughs> that scene when he's like on the uh, the teaser for Mission Impossible Seven. When he's on the, right. on the wing outside, like literally flying on a, on an airplane, and, he, and then he jumps off with the parachute, and he's like, the wind is flapping his gums, he's like...
2: Well, <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, also, Anthony Mackie, Christopher Egan, Kevin Zegers, Chris Pine, and Tom Hardy were all considered to play Brant, which is interesting. I think, honestly, I, I think they went with the right person on that uh,
1: one. I agree. I, Tom Hardy would have stolen every scene he was in. Absolutely. Right? Chris Pine, I would have wanted to smack him in his smug, pouty, handsome face every time I saw him. <laughs> and he would, have too stole, he would have stole a lot of scenery Absolutely as well. Absolutely, too. There, there would have been too many pretty people on the screen that weren't women in that. And I think right. it would have caused like a, a reverse temporal <laughs> displacement or something. And the movie would have just imploded on itself. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know who Kevin Zeggers is or Christopher Egan. I don't either, but absolutely, Anthony Mackie would not have been okay in that role. I don't think he can play subdued enough to... I mean, maybe he can. I haven't watched a lot of things he has done outside yeah. of the Marvel Universe. But the man has a level of intensity that's almost Cruise-like. <laughs> I suppose that's fair. I really like Anthony Mackie. I wouldn't have minded him. But
0: he's the only one on that list I would have even like entertained. But certainly... Certainly, Renner is better.
1: I mean, you could put Sebastian Stan if you want to keep pulling out people from the Marvel universe. He'd have been a good fit too.
0: Yeah, actually, the Sebastian Stan would have been the best stand-in for
1: Renner. Yeah, but yeah. I think for the part they were looking for, Renner did a good job. No, he because did he could come off being kind of like booky, nerdy, and whatever, and then instantly turn into I can disarm this gun while it's pointed in my face, karate chop, pow, 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 pow.
0: Right. Exactly. Well, I think we've uh, dawdled well long enough in in this area. Should we just get into the sucker? I
1: think sun is coming down over the mountains as we speak. <laughs> Shh, don't tell them about our disclosed location. They don't know when we're recording this. That's right. Or where.
0: Okay, so the uh, pre-title sequence,
1: um, we're in Budapest. Is it Budapest or Budapest? I saw Budapest, Budapest. You know, I wish we'd had Jeremy Renner in Budapest-pest. Just to get official confirmation. Um, You know, it was hard to know that we were actually in Budapest, though. Yeah, because the the title was so small. It was so small that I could barely read it.
0: It's not like a a Russo Brothers movie where it's like across the whole screen. It's just appropriately sized. I felt
1: like (laughs) you really needed to know you were in Budapest to know you were in Budapest. And I felt like that made me a smarter person. It immediately...
0: Uh, starts with Hannaway bursting out of the door on the rooftop of this building with two guys after him, guns blazing. And then he activates this tiny little uh, square thing in his hand. (laughs) and He jumps off this building. He throws the device at the ground and then turns around backwards firing Matrix style at the two bad guys. Yeah.
1: If there (laughs) was to be, if there was to be A woo-as-fuck moment in this This movie. That was it. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot after that Yeah.
0: I mean, this was about as close as woo-as-fuck as as you're going to get. I'm not going to bring out the button for it. I don't think it quite warrants that,
1: but... No, no. If there'd been a dove in the scene, absolutely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But, uh, of course, just before he lands, the little device he threw magically, instantly, completely inflates to a full-size air mattress to catch him on. Exactly. Which... God, I want one of those. I life would be so amazing. Wouldn't it though? Oh my Your god! Your portable airbag. Oh my god, I would I would use it all the time. I would be <laughs> I would be obnoxious with it. People would hate me because
1: I constantly watch,
2: watch what watch, I could do. <laughs> watch this.
0: Watch this.
1: <laughs> I, I will also point out this may be the only gadget in the movie that actually worked.
0: Yes, and and I for, actually forgot to talk about that. Is this is the gadget movie? Right. This should be called Mission Impossible Gadgets. <laughs> of <laughs> everywhere.
1: <laughs> Mission Impossible. Gadget <laughs> protocol.
0: <laughs> Gadget protocol, yes. Because <laughs> it's just, there's so many fucking gadgets. And then, of course, you know, most of them don't work. Right. <laughs> or, or fail very quickly. So, yeah, he, he lands and, you know, he's fine because, you know, magical air cushion. And then two guys come around the corner. He gets those guys and he's all smiling, thinking he got away with it. And he looks down at his little uh, man bag and he's got the uh, the file and he looks back up, and he comes, around and he sees this uh, very attractive woman. Oh, look! It's uh, Leah Sadu. and uh, she pulls out a gun. And she Lea did She Lea did him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to be so lucky! Um, <laughs> oh, I wish I could be say it did say dude, say dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, so of course, you know, before he can recognize that she's an assassin, ping ping. Oh yeah, and uh, I, I down think there was more Hanaway. than ping
1: ping. She hit him, hit him with a lot. Oh yeah, it was obsessive.
0: The- yeah, very much so. Well, she gives him almost like literally the kiss of death. She mm-hmm. like gives him this little hug thing and like, mm-hmm. right, you know, and then of course, as she walks away, you see on his phone that had said assassin like he had recognized because he's again gadgets he's wearing gadgets. he's wearing the the little fancy contact they're really into the contact lens thing in this movie they really too. were in
1: fact to the point where he finally pointed out to renders like i can't see anything out of this one yeah i'm like this is pretty fantastic they finally you can't see out of all this garbage sometimes right was <laughs> this the first movie that they actually were using like smartphones in though uh, you mean in a mission movie? Yeah, in a mission movie because I would think I, so. I because three was pre iPhone, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it
0: was. I, I mean, or maybe first gen iPhone. Yeah, well, I mean, they're all using flip phones, if I recall. Yeah, because so. I
1: think because not it came out in, what two thousand six Mission Impossible three. This is the first one of these smartphones, all Apple product, I might add.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and off walks uh, Leah Sedu into the sunset and uh, with her uh, nuclear codes. So now we cut to Moscow and I I love this breakout scene. And I know that I'm probably going to be saying I love this scene about 50 times during the course of this review, but. But is this as good as the breakout scene from Black Widow? I think it's better because it's fun. Well, it's it's on, It's I mean, they're. Same but different? Same but different. I just, I love the humor in it. I like the fact that Brad Bird decided to like not show Tom's face right off the bat. Right. Like intentionally kept his face out of the frame for a little while, you know, like just showing the back of his head as he's bouncing the CG rock. Right. It's not even a real rock, by the way.
1: Rocks don't bounce. Rocks don't bounce. Certainly not like that.
0: Yeah. So he's doing the uh, cooler king from the Steve McQueen's The Great Escape. Right. That's the whole homage that he's doing there, and then of course outside is a van, and in that van, and that van is Benji, <laughs> and of course he's hacking in to take over security cams because that's what Benji do. Yep, and then Benji opens one of the cells, and the guy comes out, and I love the the smile from Benji. As he's watching the inmate react to the fact that the door just opened for him. And Mm -hmm. he's just like, what's going on? It's kind of (laughs) cool. And then it's immediately uh, seen by the guard. But Benji opens a cell behind the guard. Right. (laughs) And then they both proceed to beat the crap out of the guard. And Benji, and you see the the reaction shots from Benji are what make this work. It
1: totally does. Because
0: Benji's just like, oh, God, sorry. (laughs) like i'm sorry i'm so sorry (laughs) so they do work on the on the guard and now i will say a fun fact about this scene benji was actually originally going to have a prosthetic tongue type thing where he was going to come yes he was going to come in to visit ethan in like the 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 place with the with the plexiglass where you meet the prisoners and talk to him or whatever and he was going to Pull his tongue out of his mouth like this prosthetic tongue that's oh. gonna have explosive. He was gonna put it on the glass and break the glass, and that was gonna start some big breakout scene. Right, but they couldn't. They couldn't work it out, and so they went with this instead. That
1: feels like it would have been dumb. <laughs> I think
0: for all kinds of reasons. I I, th- I like this. I like the fact that this is subtle, too. Yes. And the fact that they play it with almost no music until Kick in the Head by right. Dean Martin comes in, they play it very quiet and just like let the, the ambient sound just sort of absolutely guide well, it.
1: You kind of had to, because if you'd scored it and then you'd kicked in Dean Martin, it would have had the same effect.
0: Right, exactly. So the guards come to see what's happening. And meanwhile, we see somebody coming down the sewer tunnel, but then we quick- cut to see more cells being unlocked. Chaos is ensuing. And then meanwhile, Ethan's just Still in there, bouncing the uh, ILM <laughs> stone. Um, he kind of tilts his head after the alarm goes off. Uh, and we, then we see Jane locating where she needs to be in this tunnel. We find out that it's Jane that's in the tunnel, where we don't know it's Jane yet. But anyway, Agent Carter, but not the Agent Carter. But not the Agent we'll, Carter. We'll just refer to her as Jane. Yeah, because
1: so. if you do, we're all we're going to be saying is not the Agent Carter the whole time. <laughs> exactly. And this is going to be long enough.
0: That's <laughs> right. So she gets to where she needs to be, and she tells Benji over the comm. And uh, Benji kicks off over the prison PA, Ain't That a Kick in the Head by Dean Martin, which of course is the universal symbol for, all right, Ethan, it's time to get out.
1: Well, and you know, there. this is a subtle Hudson Hawk thing going on here oh, because okay. they mentioned in there that once the song's up, it's basically they're timing the breakout to this song. Yes. Like they did in Hudson Hawk. Oh, I didn't and,
0: realize they did that. In that yeah. Moment. Yeah. That
1: was the whole thing is, uh, uh, I can't even remember the song. But, you know, they're whistling it and, and you know, that was, you know, how much time it took you to break in and get out before the cops <laughs> showed up or whatever else. Oh,
0: okay. Very nice. Very Not nice. that I'm
1: trying to compare this movie to Hudson Hawk. <laughs> <That's> it's obviously <laughs> superior in every single way. Yes. But
0: We realize that uh, all the chaos is happening on the other side of the prison to divert the guards so that Ethan can leave because he comes out and there's nobody on nobody. his floor. But then, just then, like Ethan sort of stops in his tracks and he realizes that he wants to get his friend out, who of course is in the chaotic side of the prison. Of course. So so he has to go get uh, Bogdan, played by uh, Mirage Gerbic, who I think is fantastic in this movie. Yeah, he
1: doesn't have a whole lot to do, but he does it pretty well. He does
0: it really well in a very endearing sort of way. So...
1: So instead, he goes to the. I love
0: this. When he goes to the other gate that he's not supposed to go to, and he's looking up at the security camera, and he's like,
1: open, please. Right. <laughs> and, and Benji's like, I'm not going to do it. Again. Benji's yelling gonna... at him, like, he's having a conversation with him. <laughs> yeah. And this is where we get to see the probably the weirdest crew or cruise tick in this the two finger point. Yeah. A- <laughs> he, he's, I've never seen him use it before, and I don't think he's used it since. But every time he, he's pointing with two fingers, wrap it up, open it up, get it going. <laughs> I'm like, is he doing the Boy Scout thing? He needs three for that. <laughs> it is kind of interesting. Yeah, I've never Cause seen Because he does it. it through the whole movie. Every time he points, it's with yeah. two fingers.
0: Must have been part of his new programming that day.
1: Maybe a glitch. <laughs> a glitch in the system. You know, maybe the programming in the hands is like, these two fingers must be together. I don't know. But so, it, it was it was odd enough that I noticed it every single time because there was no other single. Maybe that was a holdover from Harrison Ford. He's like, well, if Harrison Ford's in this movie, he's going to be pointing with a single finger the whole time. I need to do two so they can differentiate our different, hands. That's right. And he just liked it so much. He's like, you know, I'm going to stick with this. This two feels good. This way nobody will confuse I me with Harrison Bill Ford. I see Clinton does this. I get it now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, uh he goes through this fighting on the on the chaotic area of the prison and he gets he convinces the rather uh cowardly Bogdan to to come out of his cell even though Bogdan's a huge dude. Right. So he sort of navigates Bogdan down to where the extraction point is. So they get to the extraction point and Bogdan's like, "Well, I hope you have more. Yeah, <laughs> more I hope it. we got a better plan than this, right? And then we see Jane. <laughs> so we, we see Jane's fancy device heating up, which does something it makes some holes. sort of subsonic thing that takes makes a big hole in the floor. And then I love how Bogdan looks down, and then Ethan yanks him out of the way so that the the grappling thing like shoots up at the ceiling right. above them, and then they slide down. And that's when they meet. Uh, not the real agent carter but agent carter mm-hmm. <laughs> as they all head down to the uh tunnel to their escape and that's when we get the rather famous line from Ethan of light the fuse <laughs> and then she literally lights a fuse which begins the title graphics i
1: don't know that that one made me feel a little dirty i'm just gonna say <laughs> I mean, just right on the nose. <laughs> I don't mind it. I
0: mean, to be fair, we, there's a very great podcast named just that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, that's, those those that's, boys are doing good work over there. That's all I know. <laughs> I, it just like I said, felt a little on the It's nose. it's awfully on the nose. Now, I will say I really like this open. It's one of my favorite opens of well, obviously, my favorite mission movie, but it it is one of my favorite opens of of the franchise because it's not just that machine gun edit, you know, seizure inducing supercut mm-hmm. of all the things that you're going to see in the movie. Instead, it's spatially sort of like you're following a, a wick or a, or a fuse. You're following the the you fuse. You're Keanu Reeves is not in. This movie. <laughs> you're following the fuse. Through spatially, like in a 3D sort of way, and you're sort of passing by scenes from the from, that you're gonna see eventually, right? And since they're out of sequence, it doesn't matter or whatever. But it's, I feel like it's a little classier. I feel like it's more cinematic to yeah. a degree. I feel like it works better for a movie situation. Like, I don't need the full take you back to the to the TV show
1: thing. Yeah, but again, I think this is where it really came into its own, as we are our own thing now. Yes. Lightly based off of source material. Exactly. Rather than, clearly the first two movies were, were identical to source material. Right. Three kind of broke the mold a little bit, and here they are with four, it's all gelling together to, to make the Mission Impossible movie that we all know and mostly love.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: And then I like, too, that you know after you
0: get through all the credits. It does go right back to where the actual bomb is in the tunnel, and then boom, we're back into scene, and it all sort of makes sense. So we kick it off. Uh, we're, we're in a van. We're in the van, actually, in Benji's van, for undoubtedly exposition, because yes. every single bit of exposition in this movie is done while they're traveling in some form of transportation. Every single one. And they certainly, that was certainly in the intention because they just kept very strict by the book. Every time you're traveling somewhere, that's when we're going to tell you everything you need to know.
1: Right. Well, I, I, it's kind of a Brad Bird thing, right? Yeah. The same thing in The Incredibles. I mean, Ratatouille didn't need a whole lot of exposition, and nobody was really driving it. Well, that's not true. Remy was driving the chef, (laughs) and I think he did some exposition now that I'm thinking about it. So maybe they did. (laughs) There you go. Um, But, you know, it always seems like a thing. Because there's a joke that MI6 is always on a train, or MI Mission Impossible movies are always on a train, or something like that. Everything is constantly in motion. Yes. So it makes sense to try and plug it into those scenes. Yeah, to give you kind of a sense of dynamism, so you're not falling asleep when somebody's explaining something very technically complicated.
0: Right, you're not just in like M's office or something like that. Right, and
1: with this type of movie, you need that. You
0: you know, if you're if you're going to be Mission Impossible, you're just yeah. you're trying to keep that motion going the whole time.
1: Yeah, I mean, unless you're going to be on a boat with Tanner, we're going to try and, <laughs> we're going to try and study a little more in a Bond film to tell you what's actually going on. Right. So, so we're in the
0: van and I love the line from Benji. What's what, what's up with the big hairy Russian? (laughs) (laughs) So, Basically, we find out that Bogdan gave Ethan intel, so Ethan wanted to do right and give him his freedom. So, hmm, this can't possibly pay off later.
1: No. No. Obviously, this was just something to make his exit from the prison more difficult. Yes. Wink, wink. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So, uh, we find out very quickly
0: that Benji passed the field test because Ethan's like, what the hell are you doing driving the van? Technically, a legit field agent, but throughout this entire movie, he's clearly the very green,
1: just barely passing, maybe with a C average. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think he ends up, you know, he's got Derek Jeter syndrome, right? He's coming up from the minors to play ball on the Yankees. Right. And, you know, he's playing second base next to Jeter. And he's just <laughs> like, oh. Well, I guess that's how you actually do it. Yeah. And, you know, plus he's got the history with Ethan. So he's got the I don't want to screw up in front of Ethan thing going on. I think it's very plausible that that's how he is because he's competent when he's not in that situation. Right.
0: So meanwhile, Jane is getting DNA off of Ethan to verify that it is in fact Ethan, which Ethan's very annoyed by, which I thought was funny. It was kind of like, you don't know who I am. (laughs) Yeah. I'm Ethan fucking Hunt, dude. Tom Cruise. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Bogdan is still very confused. Are are you not Russian? (laughs) And then, uh, Ethan hits him with the tranquilizer or he's, he, he sort of, like, consoles him, and then he just, like, pulls out the trank gun and just... <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, so he's talking to Jane, and he and he basically explains that if he's being freed from prison, then something outside must have gone terribly wrong. And then we get this... Jane sort of starts explaining the, the botched mission, and we get more out of that first scene from the movie. And apparently Jane was running that mission where they lost Hanaway.
1: Yeah, and if she'd been running a little faster, she would have caught... Leia Sadu's character, because literally she comes right around the corner through that door, and should have been directly in her she eyesight. Should have, well, yeah, and she should have ran after her That's instead what of I'm stopping. Saying.
0: But you know, she was in love with Hannah. Warrer, oh, uh, come blah, blah, bull blah.
1: crap! You're a, <laughs> you're an IMF agent. Exactly. Get the
0: job done. That's right. But it cuts back to the mission. We see like Jane fighting these dudes on a train, trying to figure out who they're supposed to intercept. Does something awful. You don't actually see it because all you see is her and. And you hear the guy like like say something, it almost sounded like he said <laughs> I watched this a couple times, it sounded like he said, Ah, my foreskin. <laughs> but Me? I don't I don't think that's actually what he said, but it sounded like ah my foreskin. I want it to be. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. That's what I thought the guy was saying, but I turned the subtitles on and he was actually saying the name Marek Stefanski. So that's the guy that they're supposed to be chasing after. Okay, well <laughs> so- I can
1: see Stefanski sounding like foreskin if it's mumbled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so they find him using
0: the uh, silly contact lens that Hannaway is wearing, and uh, he knocks out Stefanski with the little, the fancy little ring. Needle thingy.
1: Right. I love the Joker. Yeah. (laughs) The guy should have started laughing in his face, gets in a rictus grin before he
0: dies. (laughs) So he takes the file, but then he quickly realizes that there's other people in pursuit and he he lets everybody know, you know, what's going on. We sort of know the rest of the story from there. Right. Um, We discover that Jane and Hannaway kind of had a thing going on because, you know, obviously Jane stops and it's like, oh, touching him. And Mm -hmm. he's like,
1: oh, you're so beautiful, blah, 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 blah. So. Again, IMF agent should have been running after he her. He should have been telling her, what you fuck are you doing? Go get her. Right. Blonde chick. The picture's on the phone. Right. My yeah. super fancy contact yeah. lens identified In who she was. my last I'm going to use my IMF training to describe exactly what she looked like. Go fucking get her. Right. Exactly. I'll be fine or whatever he needed to do. Again, the movie would have ended right here <laughs> if they'd actually been... Good at their jobs. Yep,
0: pretty much. So we cut back into the van and we find out that Sabine Moreau is a contract killer that specifically works for Diamonds. We also learn that the file that they were after contained Russian nuclear launch codes. Ethan then explains that the IMF has been looking for an extremist codenamed Cobalt, who is determined to detonate a nuclear weapon and that Sabine has worked for him before, and that if he now has launch codes, he's probably enemy number one for the IMF. And with that, of course, we arrive at the uh, old school phone booth, which is going to dispense his, his mission.
1: Okay. Now, before we go into this, I could not find anything to support this, but did that not sound like Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall is the voice that's on the phone? Yeah, could very well be. I mean, I I, I spent literally, all of my research was trying to figure out, did Dave Foley do the voice of the phone (laughs) and Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing at all. Because when you start putting in things like Protocol and Foley, when you're asking for a movie, you get a lot of weird things that come (laughs) up. Not that weird, tens of listeners, right? but stuff you're... Nothing more technical than you're looking for. Right, right. What is a ghost protocol? And I'm like, there's like ghost hunter nonsense (laughs) and and protocol nonsense, but there's nothing about Dave Foley. There's a Foley (laughs) protocol or something in Hollywood, apparently. I don't care about the Foley artist. I care about the artist Foley. (laughs) Anyway, I could not determine it, but he comes back later, and it's the same guy doing the voice work. I don't remember where, but at some point in time. Oh, uh, oh, when they're in the train? When they're in the train, yeah. Yeah. He's doing the narration on that too. And I'm like, that sounds like Dave Foley. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Dave Foley. M- Mission Impossible, Dave Foley yeah. protocol. <laughs> Dave Foley, if you're one of the tens of listeners of our podcast. That's right. And you might be. I don't know. Let us know. We just say tens to hide our numbers. Yes, exactly. Like sand people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, anyway, sorry. I figured I'd get that in there before I interrupted you with it in the middle of, uh, of this scene. Right. So essentially, this movie kind of has two pre
0: title sequences. To a, to it kind of does. Like there's
1: in, in there's a way. the shoot 'em up at the beginning, then there's the prison break slash setup for the rest of the movie. Right. But we've got, it, there's just, there's multiple missions going on.
0: This is like kind of different from most of the mission movies where it's one mission. We get the first one. Right. Then we get the mission to break out Ethan. Mm-hmm. Then we get this next mission that he's about to get. Right. And then we get the rogue mission that's after Ghost Protocol is initiated. Right. So it's like, we're literally looking at, what's that, four?
1: Yeah. Four missions in, in one movie. Four missions for a Mission Impossible, Impossible four.
2: 4. Hmm. hmm
0: interesting um so anyway they arrive at this random corner of a very urban part of moscow apparently yeah uh where a phone booth still exists in 2011 and of course it's russia you know not
1: not everyone has these cell phones at this point everywhere
0: right so the uh this facade of an old Payphone moves out of the way, and we get the fancy screen with the with the retinal scan mm-hmm. and everything else. Good evening, Mr. Hunt. Check out our fancy computer behind the facade of this old-timey payphone. Um, <laughs> so, oh, fun fact. I did find this. Uh, the code he enters to operate the computer is Mr. Cruz's birthday, 070362. That's fantastic. That's the code that he enters in order to listen to the message. That's, so. that's
2: great.
0: <laughs> so... In the meantime, we we cut back to the van, which is only like, you know, 30 feet away or whatever. But Jane wants to know why Ethan was in prison. And Benji sort of elaborates that Ethan went missing after something took place between himself and his wife. Benji sort of led to believe that his wife left and that they had just split up or whatever. Benji also mentions that there was a rumor that Ethan was part of an unsanctioned hit. And so maybe that's what landed him in jail, and that he was disavowed after the unsanctioned hit. Right. But then in the in the mission statement, uh, we learn that Cobalt is or was a level one nuclear strategist for Russian intelligence. The only way to find out Cobalt's actual identity is to infiltrate the Kremlin and get into the archive room, and that Ethan is to impersonate
1: General Anatoly Fedorov, who remarkably looks like Tom Cruise with a big <laughs> nose and a fake chin. Indeed. Hmm. <laughs> mm. And that essentially they are racing
0: to find this out before Cobalt has his record destroyed. And they are apparently aware that Cobalt's in pursuit of it as well. And that he, th- there's literally a clock ticking on the screen that's counting down to how long they have to, to get this thing. And it says four hours, 52 minutes, but then it keeps going and going and going. Sure. So, um, and then it turns out that Benji and Jane have been pre-assigned to be his team because of the lack of time to get everything together to go do this thing and then <laughs> i love that the phone doesn't self-destruct right like it's a again another piece of tech that doesn't work right right to go over there and do the fonzie move to make it actually self-destruct <laughs> and then of course he goes back into the van and he's like we have to go into the kremlin and benji's like i thought <laughs> i thought you said the kremlin <laughs> You said the we're going into the kremlin
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> again Another fantastic scene, this break into the Kremlin, just mainly in the hallway thing. That's that's when I think of the Kremlin scene, all I can think of is, is the hallway scene. But we see the Kremlin and Benji and Ethan enter the grounds outside in disguise with the wonderfully bad large nose on Tom Cruise <laughs> and the the silly mustache. It's all very That's actually maybe the campiest part of the whole movie is just the the
1: disguise. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it it's not the most convincing makeup I've ever seen Tom Cruise wear.
0: <laughs> no. So meanwhile, Jane is sort of posing as a tourist. And of course, she lets go this red balloon, which, I mean, come on. If you're at the Kremlin and you let go a red balloon, they're going to shoot that thing down in like uh, like five seconds. You would think... You would think, but anyway, in the meantime, we hear all this like really funny whisper babble from Benji about how excited he is to be in the field undercover with Ethan. He's like, I just, this is like a dream for me. This is like, I I can't believe it. Me and you, me and you undercover. He's like, Ethan's like, shut up. Yeah, Ethan (laughs) keeps giving him the mean mugs. (laughs) Yeah. And then of course, it's a shame we're not wearing masks. And that's the (laughs) other thing. Benji is obsessed with wearing a mask in this movie. Because
1: everybody else gets to wear masks.
0: Well, and it's not until i don't think he gets to wear a mask until fallout like i don't think he ever wears a mask like maybe that was like a running gag they were like right you know mccrory's like don't let him have one in rogue nation uh-huh. we'll wait until the next one and then, right and then we'll finally do it that's funny <laughs> i did think it was weird at one point he's like why does benji never get to he he talks in third person for a second he's like benji never gets to wear a mask i'm like okay That's too far. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Benji has never spoken in third person before. I feel like (laughs) if that was a character... That's a Luther thing. Yeah. I, I just don't see Benji doing that. Anyway, moving on. So, meanwhile... Jane is still playing tourist. She's got this little mini camera. Boy, remember those? Oh my God, yes. (laughs) Like instead of a phone, she's got an actual mini camera. And she's looking through that to see the navigation of the balloon that's got a little video camera on it. And she then triggers something to release the camera that's attached to the balloon. So it drops down through this little chimney or something. Uh, All the way down so that it can be close enough so that it can start uh, connecting to the server, or whatever, so that they can upload the profile of what Tom, you know the Tom Cruise version of
1: right of this. So this. his
0: ID matches. Exactly. So his ID matches when they when they go through security checkpoint
1: oh yeah the percentage so, Why? So, it's so, always
0: a percentage yeah, bar so, so yeah always with mission impossible there's a percentage bar so yeah they get to the the checkpoint of course there's a, you know it's not quite finished uploading and they gotta stall the guard you know meanwhile benji is putting on his hamming it up just being like this pesky assistant to the right. big, to the big general you're like, in big trouble you don't b- even know it <laughs> yeah exactly So, of course, finally goes to check it
1: again. So, they check it again, and of course, he goes through. So Then they're they're in. Can I just say that for all of his acting chops, I'm never convinced when he's trying to do a Russian accent. Oh, Cruz? Uh, Cruz, yeah. Yeah. Somehow, even when he was speaking Russian, he was pronouncing it technically right. Yeah. But he was doing it technically right in an American accent.
0: I don't think I've ever heard Tom Cruise do an accent that I... Entirely. Maybe that's... Uh, no, maybe that's you know the what? You're,
1: you're, yeah, maybe that is just that one kink in the programming. <laughs> yeah. It's like we have to take out the the accent generator in order to program in the... Can breathe for six minutes, underwater. fly a helicopter, <laughs> yeah. uh, can hold his breath for six minutes, fly a helicopter, jump off of cliffs. That programming is so overridden, everything else, there's no room. There's no room for, for... An acting accent program. <laughs> that's right. Cause I mean, I think about it now. Far and away, he's got the worst Irish accent yeah. ever. He he's not an accent guy. He, that's the he one he's not. It's
0: the one kink in his in his thing.
1: Yeah, that, that's it. I mean that's the chink in his armor right there.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So the hallway scene. So they get to the hall, the, this hallway scene where the archive room is. <laughs> and uh, apparently the scene was really scrutinized by the, the studio and it, nobody, even even uh, the crew actually while they were shooting it, apparently were not convinced that this was going to work at all. This, this whole gag with the screen that's moving down the hallway, mm-hmm. despite how many times Brad Bird, you know, tried to describe what they were going to do. But Cruz insisted that they show it to a test audience, and then, of course, when they did, everybody loved it. They thought it was hilarious, right? Particularly
1: which, the Benji's face in the screen oh scene. Oh god, it's so. It's, so
0: yeah, we get this back projection screen that spans the entire width of the hallway. Which you know, it's like, how did they know exactly how big the hall? Well, you know, or or I guess it like it was
1: on an articulating rig. Yeah, and I think that it was like laser measured, so it knew how far to unfold. Yes,
0: because it because it does sort of render you know, the spatial hallway, you know. And it also has this camera that tracks the head or eye movement. I don't know if it's the head or or if it's so accurate that it hits the eye movement of a person so that no matter where that person is... They see it from the
1: proper They see angle. the
0: illusion so that the illusion is never broken. That
1: Which I have to admit, at the end of the scene as they're, you know, they're, they're pulling it back or it, it starts to get kind of nauseating when there's multiple faces that are hitting it and it's not well adjusting yeah, properly it's, yeah it's,
0: well i mean it's perfect though because it it shows you know how the illusion works. It, it sort of almost it almost gives it legitimacy, right? It, but it, it provided, breaks like provided, it should it, break. Yeah, provided it's only one person that's seeing the illusion. Right.
1: But I mean, the the effect of it when they're when they're moving it forward in the hallway, it had the, it's sort of that Hitchcock focus while pulling back on the yeah, camera effect. It makes you a little nauseous <laughs> when you're not expecting it.
0: Right. Now, for how advanced this this crazy contraption is, what I didn't get like that made sense to me. Sure. That illusion made sense. What I didn't understand is that crazy little water droplet shooter, That the sound of a water drop that Benji was able to shoot through that weird thing that he was holding. Yeah. How
1: the fuck does that work, man? That one actually I bought. It's a little parabolic, uh, little parabolic uh, speaker. Because if you look at it, it's like a parabolic microphone. So it's got the bell shape so that it projects the sound out rather than taking the sound in. So that's a real thing. It looked technologically, I think it could have done what he was trying to do. It was a very focused parabolic transmitter rather than a parabolic micro. You see them at football games all the time. Well, Ameri- yeah, American the- football, not that other football. <laughs> um, the dude just sitting there with the big dish. Yeah. So it's basically that premise, but it's, but it's transmitting rather than okay. taking it in. All right. So. I'll and I could, and it would be directional. By the way, it is, and because of the bell, would actually project the sound exactly where you wanted it. So I bought that. But the fact that it just drips, and this guy's not looking for water on the floor or anything else, and you know, it is sort of funny that
0: he's kind of almost looking in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> they get down the hallway far enough, and it, then we get the funny moment with Benji showing his face up mm-hmm. in the screen. And then it, the contraption renders the entire room, and then they don't have to worry about being in the way of the camera, which I right. thought was kind of an interesting facet of it. Right. Um. So then they they get into the archive room, but the file's already gone. And that's right, of course, when we hear Hendrix uh, piggybacks onto the IMF radio frequency and alerts the Kremlin. Basically, let's the Kremlin security in on what their mission was, right? And acting like he's one of the team, he says something about, you know, do you have the file from the archive room? And that's when you see the shot of the guards, and the guards are like, they're in the archive room, and so they're right. all running towards Ethan and, and Benji, right? Um, I thought it was interesting too. Giacchino's score right there,
1: yeah, very Indiana Jonesy, so
0: Indiana Jonesy. Even my
1: wife pointed that out while we we're watching it because <laughs> I, I was given the whole Michael Giacchino's kind of like the John Williams, like I do everywhere uh, and she was she's like oh i can hear it right here particularly yeah it sounded just like the map room yeah in indy so that was intentional <laughs> oh, i'm gonna absolutely. go right up because dude when they're walking through the kremlin where they're doing the security gates and everything uh-huh. it sounded like the hunt for red october with all the the choirs singing in russian yes you know i'm yeah. just like is sean connery in this
0: movie <laughs> <laughs> it's it's cool that he's able to sort of Trigger those. He's
1: those so memories. good at what he does, is he can pull similarities out of that into his own thing to evoke. Yes, that exactly. Without blatantly copying right. the exact music. Exactly. Yeah, he's, he's evoking
0: that out of the out of the audience member who's seen these movies. Absolutely.
1: And- yeah. There's a guy that's working on Star Trek Picard right now. I've never heard of before, mm-hmm. but this current season, he's really leaning heavily into the original Star Trek the Motion Picture soundtrack and Jerry Goldsmith. But it's not a homage. He's literally just pulling in Jerry Goldsmith shit into it. Uh. And I'm like, mm, we could have kicked this up a couple notches with <laughs> somebody. Because the last two composers for the show were pulling in little bits and similarities. Dude, right. This guy's just like right up. Full on. Star Trek two. Star Trek One, we don't care. <laughs> I'm just going to sample this shit. <laughs> so good job, Michael Giacchino. Keep it up. That's right. So
0: at this point, Ethan calls to abort the mission. Hendrix um, also mentions standby to detonate so that he can pin the upcoming explosion on them. Um, Benji goes one way, Ethan goes another finding some tunnel to run through just because we need to see Tom Cruise run.
1: Um, yep, this is actually Tom Cruise run moment number one. Yes. so And he, it's very short. There's a very short Tom Cruise run moment number one oh, followed by big, the longer one. Through
0: that big room. That, yes. <laughs> He's big.
1: A, he just got the hands pointed, then he had to stop.
0: <laughs> well, because he, he was like, oh, is there somebody over there? I better slow down. Right. <laughs> so, so he makes it to the far entrance and him being this... You know, disguises as higher up. He tells all the guards to shut the gates before slipping out, pulling off the disguise and reversing his colonel jacket to look like a bomber jacket, and then slipping on some Clark Kent glasses. Which and then he pulls out the map. That was just one step too far for me. Yeah, the little like he's just holding the map up like a like. And there's no way that
1: that Russian officer's uniform coat, which comes down to about mid thigh, would perfectly transform into
0: a a bomber jacket, right?
1: And and, you know. (laughs) And it, well, you know, we didn't talk we talked about it earlier at the beginning, but this is the scene where Nyquist literally walks by him with the briefcase with full the brief- of what he is, and he looks at him and goes, That guy looks like a bad guy, but then
2: doesn't, doesn't do, do anything, anything
1: about it. Again, Ethan, if you were doing your job, movie's
0: over. That's a one weak moment for Ethan where he was more scared about being caught than yeah, he was about achieving the mission. Which
1: in I, I gotta say that doesn't feel very Ethan Hunty. Not very Ethan Hunty. So I'm not sure why that scene was in there. They didn't have to have any point where they were crossing one another other than the fact that he has to call back on it later. Right. Which I'm like, sloppy writing. It's one of those things too where the biggest challenge of mission movies
0: is that they have all these ideas for scenes in their head, and then they have to figure out how they work within a storyline, within a plot line. And so that's why you get I know. I know. I just feel
1: like you can make things happen more elegantly if you want to. Right. Right. and i when when a moti- when the character's motivation is changed to fit a scene i don't like that as much yeah. you could have had a lot of other ways for him to go that's who Nyquist is i saw that dude right rather than you know him just blatantly because at that point he wasn't even super in danger he totally could have stopped where he was going and just tackled that guy right what's the worst that can happen he wasn't a bad guy you're leaving anyway (laughs) right so uh, and the only thing i will say is that what i learned
0: from the fight at the end of the movie is that apparently hendrix is quite the fighter though oh no doubt so if he did try and tackle hendrix in the Kremlin, right there. It wouldn't have just been like a quick. No, it wouldn't have been. It would have thrown a throwdown. It would have been a, throw a knockdown, throwout fight right there in the Kremlin, and both of them would have been arrested. And <laughs> in the end, mean, And there's the end of the movie. Right. Either way, <laughs> the movie was over. Real quick fun fact the uh, Prague castle was actually the stand in for most of the exterior shots of the Kremlins. So, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Ethan's outside and he locates the guy he passed in the hallway, AKA Hendrix, or we don't know that yet. We just think it's Cobalt. is about to chase after him, except that's when the entire Kremlin explodes, or at least that quadrant of the Kremlin. <laughs> if, you know, maybe I should bring out the uh, woo as fuck button because. Uh, no. Uh, nah. Definitely the shakiest CGI moments. I mean, well, I mean, of course it is because... You can't blow up the Kremlin. You can't blow up the Kremlin. So. And yet,
1: here's a, so here's a question that I, I had in my notes here. Um, and maybe you'll remember, maybe you won't. Have we seen the Kremlin in Mission Impossible since? I don't recall. I don't think so. so I'm well, trying to think. As this we're is... going through the next few, let's keep that in mind to see if yeah. it's perfectly rebuilt like it never got blowed up.
0: I'm trying to remember where they're... Because in Rogue Nation, they're in Vienna and they're in... Somewhere in the desert. Mm -hmm. Morocco. They're in Morocco. I'm just saying, it's a
1: really big Russian landmark to blow up a portion of. Right. And I couldn't remember if they ever made their way back to see if it was repaired or not. I gotta think that they
0: are trying to leave that alone. I hope because so. Because if it's within the universe of yeah, the Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible universe, universe, you don't want to like have to go back to that and
1: I mean you could very easily explain it, yeah, they rebuilt it, but right. you know, I'm or just... you could
0: if you really wanted to get like, you know, like really do your homework and you did want to go back to the Kremlin. You just CG in some like scaffolding. Scaffolding, yes. Like they're rebuilt. Like they've yes. rebuilt it, and they're just working on it now. Yeah,
1: yeah. that, that would actually be much better. <laughs> of course, Ethan can't
0: outrun the explosion, and suddenly the screen goes dark. Fade up. And uh, it's a uh, close-up of Ethan waking up, and he realizes he's been handcuffed to the gurney that he's on. Uh-huh. Uh, he's seeing tons of people walking by, all injured somehow by the blast. Then we get this uh, this cool thing where the subtitles from the news on the TV go from Russian to English, which I thought was kind of funny. I thought that was stupid. <laughs> I liked it. Anyway. Uh,
1: that, that, was the, that was the visual equivalent of the, you and then we're going to go and get the bad guys from where they are. <laughs> It works so much better as a sound That's true. thing than it does as a reading thing. Because yeah. if you was, don't know Russian, better. you don't know what the hell they're saying on the TV. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> true, true. It was a much better transition in uh, Red October. Yeah, they, absolutely. Anyway, so we find out that, quote, officials are blaming a gas main explosion underneath the Kremlin for starting a chain reaction, blah, 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 basically a cover up. And then just as the subtitles stop, the Russian officer Anatoly Sidorov, played by Vladimir Mashtov, or Mashkov, um, who apparently is like a massive star in Russia. He's like hmm. a huge movie star. Like he's like a Clooney esque level movie star in Russia. Apparently. Okay. So he comes into frame over Hunt, looking over him, and basically flat out accuses Ethan of setting off the the explosion. His proof being the reversible jacket, um, as well. Then he has tape of the audio from the from the radio feed or whatever. Right.
1: <laughs> then we get the most Russian moment in this
0: entire film. Yeah. When he's, when the nurse walks by and, you know, sort of goes after uh, Sidorov for smoking a cigarette. He's like,
1: this is not disco club or whatever whatever yeah, she says. This is no disco club, no smoking. And off she goes. I I just I laughed out loud at that scene. I, <laughs> that that lady just so Russian. Well, and as someone who is married to a nurse, that is Dead bang on
0: for any nurse you will ever encounter in your entire life. (laughs) They will take care of you, but they also don't take any shit.
1: (laughs) Exactly.
0: They wheel Ethan away. And then we get this close up, of course, of Ethan stealing the paperclip from his paperwork Mm -hmm. so that he can get out of the cuffs. Right. So in the meantime, we see Sidorov with his right hand man. And he's being told that Ethan was actually lucky to be alive. Sort of, kind of planting that seed of doubt, like, oh, maybe Ethan's not necessarily the bad guy in sure. this situation. And then, when of course, when they aren't looking, uh, Ethan slips out the window. But of course, where is he? He's you know five, six stories, however stories up he is in this right. in this hospital. <laughs> we get that funny moment where Sidorov looks out the window. He's like, what are you doing? (laughs) And Ethan's (laughs) like, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And he's like, "Eh, I can see that. Uh, Funny enough, this scene was actually filmed across the street from a film school. Was it really? Yes. (laughs) Can you imagine if if there's like people peeping out the windows like as the scene is going right. on like that's this. fantastic and then we get the uh the super cool belt thing where he jumps with the belt over the power line slides down right and then he lands and ethan looks at sit and sit and they're both just in astonishment that that it worked at all both of them are amazed right. that it worked right
1: it works for laura croft croft all the time so yeah. i don't know why you're you're so concerned <laughs> Hunt then of course manages to disappear into the crowd
0: stealing this jacket by the way I have looked for that jacket online because I really <laughs> like it I'm you know I'm not like one of those guys that you see on like Instagram like the Bond influencers that have like every piece of clothing that mm-hmm. Bond wears or whatever but god damn it I have looked for that fucking jacket that's hilarious because <laughs> I like that jacket that leather jacket with the hood on it I just thought it was cool looking
1: I also have to point out I mean his dismount onto that back of that trailer was painful as fuck he should have broken both ankles on that dismount or at least scraped his feet up because he was barefoot and i wonder how that was all put together in reality now
0: i do know that i don't i don't know about the car but i know that the the ground that he lands on is actually a cushion painted to look like cobblestone okay i knew that much But I don't know how they did the car part, which,
1: yeah. Yeah, I just... (laughs) This is one of those things that I I love about the Mission Impossible movies is Ethan gets the shit beat out of himself in every movie. I mean, he pulls (laughs) off a lot of ridiculous looking stuff, but he clearly looks like he pays the price for it every single time. Well, and that's what makes it so good is
0: that they they don't just... You know, he's not invincible. He's not like a superhero. (sighs) No, he Ish. perseveres
1: in ways that maybe are super heroic because, honestly, some of the stuff that he does, there's no coming back from it immediately. Right. But he, like you said, he's really more Indiana Jones-like And yes. in that he's just sort of like getting punched in the face continuously. Thank, <laughs> thank God there's a propeller blade to knock this big German into pieces so I can continue my
0: mission. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, he steals a jacket, and he grabs boots, and he steals somebody's phone off of a little cafe, and he calls for an extraction... Um, and then he passes by a bar where the news is on, and which sort of gives us this transition to introduce the Russian cryptographer, uh, Leonid Lissinker? Lysinker? Lysinker? Lysinker. Anyway, because he's watching TV at home and uh, he's freaking out. We don't know exactly why just yet, but he tells his wife to pack a bag for the kids. And then before you know it, suddenly Hendrix and Wistrom are in his house and has his family at gunpoint, and he's like, we have work to do. <laughs> and uh, that kind of transitions
1: us into Act 2. So, here we are, Act 2. <laughs> Ethan, who is uh, you know, still wandering around, I'm assuming still in, Well, I guess he stole some shoes, but yeah. I could still picture him walking around bare feet. I don't know why.
0: Well, because they show that very explicit shot of him walking barefoot. Right, right. Which, Honestly, I feel like it would have felt more Ethan-y if he would have just stayed barefoot.
1: Yeah, right. Because it just feels very Ethan Hunt to me. I'm Tom Cruise. Everybody's looking at my face. They're not (laughs) looking at my feet. They're looking at my face. Nobody's going to notice. Nobody's going to notice. But uh, he gets into a car and finds uh, the IMF secretary and his chief analyst, Brant, sitting in the car. And I like how he has no name. He's just the IMF secretary. Right. Mr. Secretary, Mr. Secretary. Yeah. And it turns out to be Tom Wilkinson doing his best Carmine Falcone from (laughs) From Batman Batman Begins. (laughs) Because he sounded just like him. (laughs) The secretary is heading back to the US, being initially sent uh, to receive the Medal of Friendship for the Prime Minister in an ironic twist, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Now he's going to turn in his recommendation, given the circumstances now, Here's a question that I have. What is he the secretary of? Is this secretary of defense? He's
0: the IMF secretary.
1: (laughs) But there is no IMF. He's the secretary of the impossible mission force. (laughs) I mean, we do have a ministry of magic that's in the... That's right. But I've never understood this, and I don't even remember if they ever explained it in the TV show, if they were a part of the ministry of defense, because there is no intelligence ministry. What's funny,
0: too, is they never even explain it in Rogue Nation... And Fallout, when Baldwin is talking to the government, they still don't explain anything about where the
1: IMF sits as far as in conjunction with the CIA. Right. What is he the secretary of? I don't know. I mean, hey, if any of you out there know any of this lore... Uh, as to what the secretary is a secretary of, let us know, because this is kind of something that's driving me a little bit nuts. Yeah, so who do you resign to? If you're you're resigning and you're the
0: IMF secretary...
1: Yeah, if you're the secretary of an organization that doesn't exist, who do you resign to? (laughs) And is it an invisible ink? Acquiring minds want to know. That's right. Uh, But anyway, so whoever he's a secretary for, he's resigning because of everything that went down with the Kremlin. You could tell that uh, Ethan initially doesn't trust Brant. I don't know. Who couldn't look at at Renner's face and not instantly go, man, that's resting bitch face. I guess I don't really trust him, do I? (laughs) Because when he smiles, he still looks like he's angry at you. (laughs) And don't get me wrong, I love the guy. I'll watch him in anything. Yeah. I mean, he can emote pure joy, but he still looks like there's menace in the back of his eyes. Like when he's done laughing, he's still going to stab you with an arrow. Um, definitely an arrow. <laughs> definitely. It's always going to be an arrow. I'm sorry. He's stuck being an arrow forever. If he'd had a quiver in that accident, I think he would have been much better off than That's he right. was without it. Sorry, Jeremy. Sorry, Jeremy. I hope you are doing well. I yes. think you are. And it sounds lo- like he's doing well. Yeah, and I I and I'm, we want you to come back and do all your cool shit again because you're awesome. Indeed. But anyway, uh, Ethan doesn't really trust Brandt. And trying to figure out what's going on, he draws a picture of it on his hand of Hendrix to test whether he can actually identify who he is because he's supposed to be this, like, I know everything kind of thing. Yeah. And literally, the ballpoint pen draws a passable drawing of Nyquist. I'm just like, wow. Yeah, because of course, you know, Ethan has a photographic memory and apparently is also a great forensic sketch artist. Yeah, uh, yeah. Holds <laughs> his breath underwater for six minutes. It's just one thing that goes on in the list. Yeah. And the thing is, did he draw that actual picture? <laughs> or did somebody... Or did somebody draw it and he was just pretending to draw? This is always my conundrum. Whenever I watch anything where people are drawing, <laughs> did they draw it or is it somebody else's hand that's drawing it? Because you'll see people that are pulling like finishing flourishes on that's a completed interest- drawing. I've
0: never thought about that before. That's an interesting question. Yeah. Can
1: Tom Cruise draw? And I'm sure I'm sure it's in the databank somewhere, but I don't it's, think I've ever seen him play an artist or anything like that, yeah, so part of me hopes that he drew that. I no, heard. no, I got this. <laughs> I
0: practiced for six months to, I trained for six months to draw this sketch i I actually
1: <laughs> to figure this out, I actually submitted all of those test drawings to the Minnesota School of Art. I drew Tippy <laughs> the Turtle, Paul the Pirate. <laughs> And on that correspondence course that came back, they said, you're amazing. So I figured, I, I got this one. No problem. <laughs> anyway, so after getting the art crit- criticism from Brandt, it's crude, but yeah, I think that's uh, this guy. Uh, he, he lists Hendricks as the most likely person for that crude cruise drawing to be, which <laughs> I think we can just call a cruised drawing at this point. He explains that Hendricks uh, used to be the nuclear strategist at the University of Stockholm, but was essentially forced to resign because he was... Cuckoo! (laughs) Ethan tells the secretary that they should alert the Kremlin and that Hendricks has a nuclear device and that uh, one of his operatives, uh, Sabine, has the codes. Ethan believes that the bag Hendricks was carrying into the Kremlin was the device that activates the missiles. Right. Again... If you believe that, Ethan, <laughs> then why didn't you, why stop, didn't you him? stop him in the Kremlin? Sorry, folks, you're I'm going to beat this dead horse forever. I don't <laughs> like plot holes like that. When you can drive a semi-truck through them, when Optimus Prime can transform and drive through a plot hole, it's not a good plot hole. Anyway, so uh, the secretary is pretty much convinced that at this point they're not going to listen to much of anything that he has to stay, being the secretary of whatever. And uh, <laughs> he informs Ethan that the president has initiated the ghost protocol, which effectively disavows all IMF agents everywhere, which now you got to wonder what kind of collateral damage for IMF agents we're going to have all across there that they don't even touch on. Well, and here's the weird thing about this.
0: I, I never understand like how many IMF agents there actually are, because later on here, when they get to the train thing, Ethan's like, well, we're the last of the IMF. It's like, where,
1: where where are all those other fucking guys? Well, I think and that in particular, he was alluding to the fact we're the last active members of okay, the IMF. Yeah. The other ones of all just sort of disappeared. Anybody else has either disappeared or they're running for their lives. Right. Nice job, Ethan. <laughs> um, you know what would have stopped all of that? Stopping him in the Kremlin. Um, so anyway... <laughs> <laughs> the 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 secretary uh, lays out what not to do and then basically telling ethan what his new mission is by, t- by, by telling him what he's not supposed to do you could
0: not take this usb stick from me and you right. could not go to this train thing and with you know
1: leftover equipment and <laughs> yeah and this is such a trope in all movies, but well, and have, they do this
0: again later in the same they do, movie.
1: They do, and I I struggled both times trying to think of a movie where I know this came from because I know it's there. Right, it's you. You know, you will not do the thing and the thing and the thing and the thing, and you, and you definitely I, you, won't you, do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I know it's out there, but I'm just like, yeah, okay, is it hacky? <laughs> Maybe once it's not hacky, but twice it was definitely kind of (laughs) hacky. The second one. So, stockpile equipment, your team's waiting there for them, because I told them they probably shouldn't go do that too, is my (laughs) assumption. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. But um, just as we're about to get to the buddy-buddy thing, because meanwhile... Brant's over here, going, what the fuck is going on here? (laughs) Yeah, this guy's causing all this problem, and you're trusting him implicitly. Right, Brant is just so confused at this whole situation. Plus, he's carrying the drama that we find out later with Ethan in particular. Right, but but you know, at the same time, he's kind of like the secretary's, like, are you? Are you nuts? No wonder you guys die so often. Well, because he, I don't think in the previous
0: mission that Brant was on, I don't think he realized that that was Ethan Hunt, like
1: the Ethan Hunt. Right, of, until he popped up in the door.
0: Right, of illustrious Ethan Hunt
1: fame. Right, right, exactly. Until- but once he put the face. To the person. Oh, oh. He's like,
0: oh shit, I'm responsible for Ethan Hunt's wife's death.
1: Yeah, he was basically pulling a Benji, but from the other direction. Right. right? (laughs) He was fangirling over the guy whose wife he let die. So, you know, Benji was just fangirling. Um, (laughs) But uh, anyway, uh, Justice Secretary is, you know, calling him his friend and sending him on his way. The car gets shot up, and the secretary, boom to the head. (laughs) Dead. Dead. So dead. Boom to the head, dead. And the car goes careening in the river because I got the driver too. And then <laughs> I had some serious breathing from the tire scares here. <laughs> some, some view to a kill breathing uh-huh. from the tires. Thank <laughs> God we didn't get any of that. A little more realistic catching the air bubble at
0: the top of the car. Right, in the in the, the little bit of the cabin that still has air in it. Right.
1: <laughs> so they're stuck in the upside down cabin breathing what's left of the air. And it's funny because Renner does a pretty good job But what the fuck are we going to do now? Yeah. Like he would be panicking not being a field. Agent. Which is interesting
0: because he was a field agent. Yeah, but you
1: know when I started to think about it, I put I put some thought into this after he does the whole whoa pow karate moves on him. Mm-hmm. He's a security guy. He worked for IMF as a security person. Oh, so, so maybe he, he his wasn't, training yeah. wasn't necessarily spy stuff, but more protection details, SWAT. That would make sense. Military stuff. Check out. So he's not panicking in that situation by any means, but. It's not in his normal wheelhouse Mm -hmm. to do stuff like, uh, okay, we're stuck in a car that's sinking. How are we going to do kind of thing? Right. Oh, PSM, by the way, wouldn't bullets slow down in water?
0: Yes. Would they they still be lethal at the the depth that
1: they were at? Well, think about diving into a pool from a 10-meter board. You've probably done that at least once or twice in your life. Yeah. When you hit the water, it hurts. Okay. But you still go down to the bottom, right? Okay. These and you're traveling at what, yeah. 10, 15 miles an hour. Bullets are traveling at speed of sound. Okay, fair enough. So they're going to keep going. Okay, so they're still lethal.
0: They're still just lethal. Tr- I was just trying to make sure that that still you know checks out. But,
1: That's why okay. like when they when they have that that gel that simulates the human body and they'll shoot bullets into it for ballistics uh, tests. Yes, yes. It it has to be that dense to stop it. Right. But eventually it'll slow down faster in water than it would slow down. In the air because right. there's there's friction that's involved there, right. but the, this whole thing, all these people are shooting at one target with bullets <laughs> whipping around them. Which, by the way, I want to know how they do that effect. If that was digital or if that's a practical effect oh, that they the use to show bullets in the water. Oh, I've that's, never
0: that's digital. You know I
1: that's they that's used to be... do that before digital was a thing. Not as clear or clean, but I I can remember tons of movies of water getting shot or bullets getting shot in the water. And you see, yeah, I don't
0: know how they this. did it. Back then, but I'm sure this is those are ILM. Yeah, they they had to be. Those those are ILM clear and
1: bubbly as they were. Yeah, but none of those bullets hits the car. None of those bullets (laughs) hits anybody in the car. And there's a lot of gun shooting at this a point. A lot. There and had somehow, to be 15 guys firing automatic weapons in their
0: general vicinity. All at the darkest part in the river, and yet, man, they got some severe bad guy stormtrooper bad guy guns. These going are almost on. the
1: same. You know, <laughs> these are almost the same Russian guys that were in the assignment, right? You know, they were like, "Let's all get together in one blaze, and uh, maybe the bad guy won't get us this time." Ha ah, ha ha ha! Right. <laughs> Anyway, so they're sitting in there. They're trying to figure out how to get out of it. With the gunfire and everything going like that, Ethan's like, the only way we're going to get out of here is if we make these guys think they need to shoot somewhere else. So at least Ethan's thinking about the fact that his magic shield may not continue to hold up whatever that is. Right. So he straps a flare, uh, just a regular automotive flare, folks, to the now dead Tom Wilkinson and sends him floating (laughs) across into the ocean, although I'm pretty sure he'd be going down and not sideways. At this point. Oh, because he'd be filling up with water. Yeah, he's dead. There's no (laughs) air in him left that I'm aware of. But you know what? It worked as a diversion. And Ethan and Brandt are uh, able to jump up and go the other direction. Sidorov then shows and tells them all to stop shooting. This is my favorite thing in the world. When the guy who's in charge like, will you all stop shooting? Stop shooting. Stop shooting. Hey, stop fucking shooting. (laughs) Because they're all like, we never get to shoot anyone. <laughs> this happens in every war movie where you have a group of people. Stop shooting at the Germans. <laughs> well, in Mission Two, it's put a sock in it. He doesn't want <laughs> Sidorov doesn't want them dead, obviously, because he wants Hunt alive to get more information from him. Right. Um, eventually, they pull the car out, and Sidorov's guy tell them that. Uh, Ethan and Bogdan broke out of prison a few days ago. And so Sidorov starts thinking, well, maybe we can figure this out through Bogdan. Right. Meanwhile, uh, Ethan and Brant, both looking significantly drier than they probably should at this point, <laughs> head out to a rail yard where they're looking for a specific train car number where the team's waiting for them. Brant to- <laughs> goes up to Ethan he's like, so how did you know that that diversion thing was going to work with the flare? And Ethan's like, uh, I, didn't, uh, I, I, didn't. I didn't. I just didn't have any other choices. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, which was kind of funny because Ethan's or Brant's kind of uh, disappointed that there wasn't like some spy crafty thing that's involved right. with it. It was just like, oh, that's it. Oh, that's it. It's pure luck. <laughs> I'm like, I'm Tom Cruise. Everything about me is pure luck. <laughs> after a bit of uh, trouble trying to figure out where the actual car is, then after finding the car, having to go through the incredibly intricate security measures to get into the car while Violet's the car moving. is moving. And it's a very.
0: This is a very Brad Birdie yeah uh, y moment because they have to go around the little uh columns that are yeah. that are in the way you know as the train is moving and the, even though It's funny, though, that the train never picks up that much speed. That much speed, speed,
1: right? It's just constantly going, so it's just annoying more than anything. It's like they're not in any real imminent danger of hitting one of these light posts or whatever it is and getting hurt. They just have to keep stopping what they're doing before the train gets to the speed where they can't get on it. Right. And the retinal scan is my favorite part because, you know, Render's like, okay, punch in the key code. Okay, now you got to do the retinal scan. And Cruz is like, what the
2: fuck with the retinal scan?
1: <laughs> and he's literally holding on while it scans his face. Yeah. And it just, this is one of those things. Brad Bird had an agenda with tech yes. in this movie. And the agenda was to say, all the tech is worthless. You need to depend on your people. Right, exactly. And so even when it works, it's still a hindrance. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it still kind of gets in the way of everything. Yeah,
1: so it's funny. It's, when you think about it, that's what The Incredibles is too. The yeah. bad guy is all about tech and ends up getting just beat by old school superhero muscle, right? Right. So he must he must be a luddite, I guess. I don't know. He works with cameras, so he well. Can't be ironic that, that
0: he's a luddite and he's an animation.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> he he just all cartoons should be made with flip books and a pencil. I'm guessing for where he's at. <laughs> um, if you go down that way, but uh, anyhow, so they. <laughs> They do get into the car. Benji and Jane are waiting for them there. And uh, we get to see the speech that Hendrix gives, basically saying nuclear war is inevitable and we need to do it so we can evolve. Right. <laughs> and so that it, the Earth can fix itself. The Earth or can right itself and, and move along. And, you know, when the bad guy's crazy, but he's starting to make a little <laughs> bit of sense, you really have to wonder who the hero of this picture is. <laughs> Eight billion and counting, people. (laughs) Just saying. But meanwhile, so uh, while this is all happening, Ethan is talking with somebody on the phone. We don't know. We don't know who it is. You know, I'm assuming it's his wife or it's Luther or somebody. Even I didn't really see this coming until we started moving further along in the film.
0: Yeah, like this is one of those moments that like I often found, like I missed early, like when I was watching this, you know, years ago or whatever. This is like one of those little bits that I would always never pay enough attention to and then mm-hmm. and then i never understood what it was all about until i created a podcast and had to take notes
1: on it and <laughs> yeah it's really made you much a much more uh a cinema savvy person indeed when you think about it and you know all this really is it's like you said it's rolling exposition they're in a vehicle they're going to tell you the next thing that's going to happen so right. it's once you know the plot of the movie it's real easy to dismiss a lot of this scene because you're not getting anything out of it that you don't already know. So anyway, Ethan keeps asking if the line is secure. And he says, I don't care what you have to do, get him to Dubai. So you know we're being led to believe he's talking to some other agent that's somewhere out there, which is why I thought it was Luther, because I knew he was in this. But I couldn't remember when he showed up. Well, and this is, I am betting that that little
0: scene of him on the phone is a pickup, is a late pickup. Simply because he says, get him to Dubai. Mm. Meaning, because we're talking about Max.
1: Right. It was was supposed to be, get her to Dubai, because he wants to talk to Max. Right. Yeah, definitely could be. Even if you had to cover it over his lips, when you say him and her... It kind of looks the same. Yeah. Um, But uh, Ethan explains that the intel from the USB drive that the secretary gave him was that uh, Sabine Moreau is going to be checking into the Burj Khalifa to meet with Winstrom, who is Cobalt's uh, right-hand man. And generally doesn't do anything kind of guy, um, uh, to sell the launch codes to him, presumably to be paid in diamonds. Hmm. And she seems to like diamonds. So much. They are forever. They are forever. And so is she. And so. <laughs> Whitstrom is apparently already en route. So, um, or en route, as Chris might say. <laughs>
0: Best call back in the day.
1: <laughs> Ethan explains the whole ghost protocol situation to everybody in the room. We should already know what the ghost protocol situation is because they are all IMF agents. However, <laughs> this is for the benefit of the watcher, not for the people in the room. Right. And their mission, w- whether they choose to accept it or not, uh, is to replace <laughs> the nuclear codes with fakes. Then follow Winstrom to find Hendrix because Hendrix is the mission. Remember that. It's going to be important later. That's right, kids. Pay attention. And then, you know, Benji's probably like, oh, yeah, it's easy. Uh, we just have uh, Jane double bean Sabine and Bob's your uncle. And they pack <laughs> up their stuff. my favorite line in the whole movie, Bob's your uncle. Somebody <laughs> finally said it that wasn't me or Ben. So I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we cut to the four of them. Uh, in a van heading to for the Burj Ah, um, Dubai Ah, uh, Dubai. You know, it, it's really hard to know it's Dubai because the <laughs> title. It's the, is the so title small. is so small. It's so, Moscow was small, so appropriately sized. And, you know, as if it were on a big screen, you would still be able to read it just fine. Right. <laughs> and no, no, boom when it pops up there, right. no loud sound effect. None of that. Just... Uh, you know what Russo Brothers? You know I love you, but want to watch the Mission Impossibles. Now, Although Mission Impossible is going the other way too, so maybe not. Well, here's a funny thing. I did hear that there was a
0: lot of chatter online about those little titles, location titles, uh-huh. people complaining about the font. The font? Yeah. They were just saying that they didn't like the typeface or whatever, like they thought it was lazy or what. It's like, he's creating this massive movie. This is what you're going to bicker about? You know... <laughs> I guess there's been a lot of talk about they don't like the, uh, even like the titling for the movie itself. Okay. They're not crazy about, you know, like I've heard people complain about the typeface of the Mission Impossible. I don't mind it. Yeah.
1: Who are these people that are complaining? Are they graphic designers? I don't know. Are they typeface Uh, people? I, I don't know. What is the complaint? Can you read it? Then it's fucking fine. Yeah, pretty much. You can only do so much with a serif, man. Or sans. I'm all about sans. Yeah, I don't like serifs. They're kind of a pain in the ass to replicate. You know what I say? I say, fuck serifs. Yeah, fuck serifs. <laughs> All right, getting back to it. <laughs> I fuck the serif, but I did not... Fuck the... Deputy? The, damn it, I thought I had something with it, but I don't. <laughs> Never mind. Moving on. We're good to Dubai, according to the ill-fonted small indicator <laughs> sign on the screen. That's right. All right. As they're moving along in this vehicle, they're laying out how they're going to execute the plan, which is essentially they're trying to deceive both parties at the same time of this exchange. They're basically going to try and duplicate what's happening with the real Sabine, but with a... Fake Winstrom and a real Winstrom with a fake Sabine. Yes. Are we all clear on that now. That's right. Because I'm not saying it again. If you're not clear, watch the movie again. That's right. <laughs> Ethan will be Winstrom and Jane will be Sabine. Right. And so when I heard this initially, I'm like, are they going to put that really tall drink of water in a Sabine mask? <laughs> How are we going to pull that off? And then I realized later on, when we get to the Indian Palace over there, that she's not that tall a drink of water, because she's the exact same height as Tom Cruise with heels, so it could have worked. Maybe it's just because she's so slender and athletic that she kind of looks taller. I think she looks taller than she actually was, but I'm just like, really? We're (laughs) going to stick a Sigourney Weaver...
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: into uh, 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 Aubrey Plaza's body, right? right. And that's going to work, um, <laughs> right? 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 Well, here
0: and actually, this just made I, I know I'm skipping ahead just a little bit, but I'm suddenly realizing another potential plot hole. Okay, because okay, before the mask maker breaks, right? They were going to use masks, yes, but like. If they were gonna put a mask on Jane, she's obviously far darker complex right. than they would have some, had
1: to do something else completely. Yeah, like how are they gonna do that? Right? Yeah. I didn't think about that yeah. either. <laughs> 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 anyway. <laughs> 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 but yeah, anyway. They come out to the Burge Hotel and oh my was God. that a helicopter, do you think Dude. that shot?
0: Well, I mean that's that's the area where they shot an IMAX too, and it's just right.
1: They literally go right over the tower. The camera oh my literally God. goes it, over the it, antenna. It, 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 you think it's going to hit it. It's so close when it hits
0: the, when it gets over the top of that thing. Yeah. It's an amazing shot. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But you know, after you get to, you know, Fangirl over the world's tallest building. So yeah, so they you get this amazing footage of the hotel, breathtaking. um They get in there, and then it's explained that in order to make the plan work, they have to control the elevator so that each party thinks they're going to a certain floor. Right. So Benji has a job. It's basically what they're telling you. Benji realized that, that there's a problem with it that because that in order to hack into the servers, you actually have to go outside the building to physically get into the server room. Of course. Of course. Of course, right? it's the only way. It's the only way you to, can do it. And to get. Tom Cruise on the side of the Uh, the Burst building, Which was the whole reason they did this movie, (laughs) I'm pretty sure. Um, Meaning that someone, i.e. Ethan, uh, is going to have to climb out the building to get into the server room. Now, what you may remember from watching the movie is as they were packing up their gear in the train, Benji's futzing around with gloves that have lights on them. Hmm. wonder what those could be for. Well, (laughs) you're about to find out, kids. This is is
0: definitely one of those tropes where... It's just like in Bond movies, where the spy has exactly they receive exactly what they need to complete the mission. To complete the mission, even if that mission has not been well defined, well defined (laughs) as to what they need, what they're going to need. Right? They just happen to have exactly what they need. Well, you know, Benji's kind of a hoarder. I guess I could see it. But uh, (laughs) oh, I will. I will mention. Christopher McQuarrie was quoted as saying that Brad Bird basically fucked him on like, he, he, he basically felt like this scene at the Burj Khalifa could never be outdone and that there was no way in hell that McCrory, that he himself would be able to ever come up with anything that could possibly top this.
1: Uh, well, but, I think he I was mean, underestimating Tom Cruise. Well, they,
0: <laughs> they seem to be working on it right
1: now. Yeah, but... Even Tom was like, challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? So we get this little exchange along those lines that I was saying, you know, where, you know, what do you mean we, says Ethan? <laughs> yeah. And like, I could hack it, but it would take too long. The hardware in. And there's four layers of next gen security between us and the server room. There's no way we can get to it from inside. If we can't get to the server,
0: we don't control the elevators, we don't control the security cameras. This operation's over before it even begins. I'm telling you, we can get to it from outside. We? I'm, I'm on the computer. I, I'm just uh, the helper. What floor is it on? Oh, 130. 130.
1: <laughs> so uh, we move to the scene where they're preparing for the climb. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. Benji's explaining how to use the gloves. They're removing a window from the world's tallest building to facilitate all this. So they can, I presume, put the window back. You mean like in production? You mean? Well,
0: yeah. I mean. Yeah, they had to. I know. And it sounds like they just kept not like from from the sort of behind the scenes things that I've listened to. (laughs) <laughs> it Sounds like initially their request was to knock out like three windows in the Burj Khalifa. And then as the shoot went on, it was like, well, how about like another three? Well, right. we, you know, can we go up here and get just one more? And and the next thing you know, it was just like lots, lots of windows that they had to knock out. It's just insanity
1: to me. Yeah. And the fact that they went along with it. Uh, well, I mean, is that the power of cruise right there? I suppose so. The power I mean- of cruise compelled them? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I did see this publicity photo of Cruz laughing and yucking it up with this like very I'm a i am i can only guess this very wealthy chic who owned the hotel or whatnot. And they seem to be getting along real well, so you know,
1: Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise Cruz compels you. I'm just saying. <laughs> so Beggie goes over explaining how to use the gloves. You gotta roll them off. You gotta, you gotta roll them <laughs> off. Don't pull them gotta roll them off blue is glue red is dead <laughs> just remember that ethan and you'll be fine a fun fact about this the sound effects that are you for the powering up hum of the gloves is from an mri machine
0: which is amazing yeah kind of like how do they even find that like how do they i i got it we'll go
1: to a... <laughs> well you know it's like ben burt you know legendary sound designer ben burt from yeah. lucasome and everything just his job for his first six months of Star Wars was to walk around collecting interesting sounds. He got paid to take out a mic and, like, that could be cool. That could be cool. Yeah. You know, there's a there's famous thing that the blaster bolts were him hitting a uh, wire on a power transformer. Right. To get the, and then he just ran it through a couple of filters and got the blaster bolts. Right. But sound engineers, that's kind of their thing, right? You know? What, yeah. Just what, sound what, cool is it, what, what, what What would this sound like? Right. So, but an MRI, you know, that dude was getting an MRI. And while he's in, he's like, yum, 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 this could be good for something. Whatever. But, you know, that that's how that one probably popped up. That guy got an MRI and said, ooh, I think I could use that for something else. <laughs> So meanwhile, Brant is uh, scaring the shit out of Ethan. They're going through this effort of making Ethan super nervous about what he has to accomplish, even though he's already aware of how dangerous it actually is. Right. It's kind of funny how they're really ramping it up. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, okay, it's on the you have to go up 11 stories. Well, yeah. And what the funny thing is, is that from Benji's perspective, he's like, oh, Ethan can do this. Yeah. Right. But from Brant, he's like, you realize what you're doing, right? (laughs) So you get this like confidence and fear all at the same time. And Cruz's head, Ethan's head just like, (laughs) oh my
0: gosh. And so. He does play it well, though. I will say,
1: Cruz sells that sort of,
0: I can do this. Oh no, no, I can't do this. Oh God, what am I getting myself (laughs) into? Fuck. (laughs) Right. And then just,
1: I'm, I'm okay, okay, okay. Okay. okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. He'll keep calling, calling me. He keep calling and <laughs> calling. Okay, okay, I'll do it. So then the climbing. Holy shit! Dude,
0: that shot when it. Zooms way, way out. Yes, way, holy cow! You,
1: you are getting the full perspective, live and fully in charge there. Wow! There was no CGI there, other than taking out wires. Man, and it's
0: it's just insane. It's insane to me. It's still insane to me that he did this. And right? even and 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 when. I'm kinda of, I'm jumping ahead, but I'll just it really makes it insane for me to think about when the one glove that he's got left as he gets to the server room mm-hmm. and that fails and he drops yep. in midair, they literally dropped him outside the burst Khalifa mm-hmm. over and over again for that shot.
1: Yeah. And he told them to, I'm guaranteeing. Yeah. It.
0: Yeah. I want and my he,
1: reaction and, to be genuine. And it
0: sounds like if if I remember correctly, he literally got bruised when they dropped him over
1: and over again. So he got a cruise bruise. A cruise bruise. <laughs> Sorry, it was right there. Uh, <laughs> and so as he's out there to amp up the tension, we see a massive sandstorm coming ahead of them, which I like to call sandstorm plot device. Because <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to say this now: if there's something that gigantic heading towards Dubai, you go you back think, inside. You would think Dubai has a plan. <laughs> in general, I mean, they're going to finish the mission, oh, I sandstorm see what you're or saying. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's people. Well, when we get to that point, there's people out in a sandstorm. That you saw 20 minutes before nobody prepared for this? Okay. I had to get it out of the
0: way. And it's my understanding, too, that those sandstorms are able to travel very quickly. Very
1: fast. They will destroy property. They can destroy people. Basically, you've got sand and rock being blown in in a storm with wind. It's like a hurricane, but it's shooting little projectiles at you at the same time. Sounds Um, great. um, Hurricane tornado is what I meant to say. But anyway, yeah, there's a sandstorm coming. So now we've got some stakes involved here. Yes. Among (laughs) everything else. So Ethan's out there climbing. And then, of course, as Ben mentioned earlier, one of the gloves fails, which, (laughs) and I love this part. He basically takes the glove off because it's stuck to the wall. And as he's moving, or the the glass, and as he's moving over, it releases itself and floats away into the wind, slaps the building once, and then falls down. (laughs) It's fantastic. And clearly, it's a very Brad Bird moment when we're in there. Yeah. Um. Ethan finally gets to the server level, and his laser-cutting torch causes the one glove that he still has to work to fail, and as you said, he falls down several floors before managing to re-stick to the window. You know, in the real life, he would have ripped his arm out at that point. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, that arm came out like a pissed-off Wookiee took it, man, <laughs> but no. He fell at least, what, 20 feet, you think? Oh, Absolutely. Enough that it probably wouldn't have ripped his arm out of his socket, but he would have been functioning super good at stopping his own weight.
0: Now, I will say the other thing, too, about this is that's a little unbelievable is not that the whole thing isn't unbelievable, but (laughs) within this thing is just how quickly he manages to get back up to that
1: floor. Yeah, he scampers pretty quick. Yeah. But he gets there, and um, now that his laser cutter isn't working anymore, he basically has to take the... I don't know, what did he have? Maybe a third of the circle he was trying to cut yeah. out there. And he just basically has to sit there and bash himself into the window <laughs> until the window breaks. <laughs> you know, Which he does. Finally manages to get in, put some kind of USB stick in somewhere because um, Ethan Could, knows exactly where it needs to go. Because it's Ethan Hunt. And of That's course right. he would know exactly, exactly which of, of the
0: hundreds of USB ports that are probably in that server room, he knows the exact
2: one
1: to, put the in. Exact to go. He knows the exact one to go. Something Benji told him while we weren't looking, I'm guessing. <laughs> um,. Um so now they're online to control the elevators and the security cameras. Jane and Benji go out into the hall and use some crazy device to change the numbers on the doors because you know That's a thing that exists. It's a, it's a thing sure. that exists. Sure. Why not? Sure. If you're gonna go in for everything else. If you're
0: gonna have if you're gonna use the, the electromagnetic gecko gloves, yes,
1: then you gotta go in for Yeah. If you got an entire screen that mimics the hallway you got to be okay with something that changes the numbers on things. Yes. But meanwhile, Brant sees on the elevator cam that Sabine is early, of course, and <laughs> headed up to the elevator. So he's urging Ethan to magically get back down in the room, even though the only way back is to climb back down again. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure it's a fire hose that he uses to get out of there. Is it? Yeah. Is that what that is? Yeah, on that i not Because I tell. Like, or it's cable. I couldn't tell either. But look, I like like was some on a big spool. Of,
0: yeah, just a big old spool. It looked like, I don't know, some kind of... Maybe it is a
1: fire hose. It just looked like
0: fabric to me.
1: But you know, if it was a fire hose, he got clearly got that idea from watching Die Hard, in nineteen (laughs) eighty eight. You know, if that works for John McClane, it'll work for Ethan Hunt. But he does the Ethan, uh, throws it out the window, and then runs straight down the side of the building, dude. And which is also insane. It's insane that that's
0: real. That that's really on the Burge. He's just running, just. Flat run. Yep. <laughs> okay. Hi, everybody.
1: You I'm know, Tom Cruise. And he didn't run into like Sammy Davis Jr. or some <laughs> other star from the 60s while he was going down there. Burt Ward. Burt Ward. <laughs> yeah, they should have had Burt Ward and Adam West looking up from a window. Though that would have been funny. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, gets all the way down, runs out of line about 15 feet above where the room is. And, of course, now we got to do the Death Star swing across with Luke and Leia. I love the...
2: Your line's
1: not long enough. No shit. Best delivery from Cruise in the entire movie. Right. Because at this point, he's already done 18 impossible things. Right. And now he's got to do number 19. Right. So he goes. And in true Tomb Raider fashion, pendulums across the building, nice running start, and launches himself to the window, and then clocks himself on the head, and (laughs) it's so hard, it should have knocked him unconscious. It should have. It should have. But Brant manages to catch him by the leg before he falls down. Jane grabs his leg. Got the human leg chain going (laughs) on here to haul people back up. (laughs) The human centipede of the Mission Impossible series. (laughs) (laughs) That takes it to a whole other level. <laughs> I don't want to say that. Right. Let's never say that again. <laughs> we'll that oh out. my God. I'm not going to edit that out. <laughs> the the centipad. pad. Oh my God. And then Benji comes in. Was, <laughs> and all this is happening. It's a big hero for getting all the door signs changed in time. He's like, I finished. I got it. I did it. It was hard, but I did it. <laughs> yeah. And Cruz is just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hilarious. So Brand gets hooked up. With the, the fancy contact lenses that we've been making fun of this whole time. And basically comes says, I can't fucking see out of this thing. So <laughs> yeah. thank God for some realism with a gigantic camera in front of your face. Yeah. Well, and that all goes back to the
0: fact that none of this shit works right. Right. Although this does technically work. This does work, work, correct.
1: It's just really cumbersome for Brant. Right. And, <laughs> you know, so the whole point of this thing is it's a mini camera that... It, is used to scan documents, but then we'll encrypt the documents so that what is being printed is not what's actually being seen, Same. which is horrifically specific <laughs> for this mission. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who plant somebody go, well, there might be a thing where they need to copy documents surreptitiously and make sure that those documents end up being different to the person who gets them? We need a device for that. Of course. <laughs> but again, it goes to... And of beach. course, it needs to identify the exact line that needs to be scrambled. None of the other lines can be scrambled. Correct. Just the one. Just the one. So is it just doing numbers? Doesn't mean the letters were accurate, but it only changed the numbers around. Who knows? It, it, it's like you said, it's that oddly specific spy technology that just happens to be there right when you need it. Right. Unfortunately, this one worked, or I guess fortunately, I don't know. But Well, uh, what's funny, it doesn't. It ends up not working that
0: way at all. They have to reprogram it anyway. Yeah,
1: they had to reprogram it to do what they needed to do. But anyway, the numbers of TransVAD admitted back to a printer that's built inside the briefcase that they're going to use to swap out the nuclear codes as part of the plan. Part of the plan. Uh, part of the plan but then uh they see on the security camera that winstrom has brought with him a lys anchor who's there to authenticate the codes which now fucking monkey wrenches everything so this is really
0: funny like technically this entire burst scene is not needed at this point mm. because they're still going to make the exchange happen now they're forced into this this fake exchange and they don't even need to because there's st- anyway. yeah the whole
1: plan goes to ship but they're still sort of compelled to do it because it's the only way to ensure that um actually what is it that they have to ensure well, the
0: only reason the only reason they still go through with it even though they're literally deciding to give the real launch codes to the real wistrom is simply because they don't have time to change the door things
1: oh that's right
0: because if they don't let the exchange go through, then they can't catch the people afterwards
1: and follow them to Hendrix. To Hendrix, because Hendrix is, is the, the mission. mission. Got it. Not shooting Leia Sadu and killing her for killing your boyfriend. Right. Or t- Hendrix, kicking her out the window. Kicking, well, as we <laughs> will find out one way or the other. But Hendrix is the mission. Now that, that, that makes more sense to me. So <laughs> Ethan says, you know, he thinks the only way they can pull it off is to give Winston the real launch codes. But just to make sure to... Intercept since, as we said, Hendricks is a real target anyway. And there's some back and forth between Ethan and Brant because Brant's like, are you fucking crazy? And Ethan's like, (laughs) think about it. You're fucking crazy. Think about it. (laughs) Think about it. Can't you see? Can't you see? Well, look into my eye. Honestly,
0: (laughs) I really hope that in the next two movies, I never hear Ethan Hunt say, can't you see? Because I've now heard it from him. In th- in three di- in three different Mission movies, and I no longer want to fucking hear it. It's, okay, it's my one point of contention with the Mission movies. Like, there's too many times where Ethan Hunt suddenly has this massive epiphany, and nobody's quite there yet, and he's like, "Can't you see?" And I'm like, "All right, I've heard it enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> just, 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 don't, don't don't do
1: it again. It's now just." Don't you understand? Now it's just an overdone trope. Aren't you able to uh, to smell what the rock is cooking? <laughs> um, isn't it obvious to you? So many more choices How here. How can you
0: be so obtuse? Yeah. <laughs>
1: How can you be so obtuse? Exactly. I'm just saying, Tom, find a, find another one. Different verbiage. If you could do that for us, that would be great. Great. It would be great. Great. <laughs> So before Brandt agrees to crank out the tension again, the mask machine then stops working. So it's no longer making masks. And now they're risking whether or not Sabine and Winston have ever met before to know uh, if they even know what the other looks like. Maybe an unnecessary kink in the plan there. Probably They really started to make this super complex in a very short period of time. So there wasn't really a lot of time. To absorb what the fuck was happening. Yeah. Yeah. I got very confused and I just said, fine, I'm going along for the ride. You know what? I
0: really wish when the when the mask machine broke, I really wish if somebody would have said, Would it help if I got out and pushed? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> anyway, anyway, they head into the two rooms. They're pretty. They're committed now because they've yeah. got no other choice. Hendrix yeah, yeah. is the mission. This is the only way to move forward. Right. There's no Ethan time is convinced Brant that this is all we need to do. They
0: can't refix the door numbers. They no. can't just let the two meet organically and then catch them afterwards.
1: No, no, no. They couldn't just possibly wait in the rooms that they know they're in <laughs> right. with guns and shoot everybody. <laughs> now they have to make it extraordinarily complicated and difficult. Right. Because all you really need at this point is Winstrum.
0: Yeah. You
1: don't need... Anybody Sabine else. Sabine at all. Although they seem to make it feel like you need her.
0: Yeah. They, they keep mentioning that. And I think that's more just Ethan trying to prevent Jane from killing her. Right. More than anything. Just because well, Jane is very much wanting to kill her. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I just... I couldn't understand what the relevance of that was. If you have the right-hand man, you don't really need the the main dude's key assassin person. Yeah. But, you know, Whatever. It builds up drama and makes Jane look like a hero when she tries not to, but then eventually has to kill her. Right. So they are heading into the two fake rooms. Uh Benji puts on this ridiculous room service outfit. And I like how before he's like, I think I'm gonna play it like I'm from France. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like he's gotta get into character. He needs he needs his motivation. Yeah. The inflatable arm. With a fake, inflatable arm. Right? <laughs> oh my god. It's so and, and, and it's so convincing until he stops. He, Simon Pegg just comedically does it
0: so well. The physical comedy with that oh, fake yeah. arm and just the other his real arm coming up yep. from underneath the like dude the swipe and
1: it's just yeah yeah no no it it, it it was pulled off brilliantly by him but it's so ridiculous <laughs> Anytime I see one of those fake arm tricks when it's revealed, I'm like, oh, that's stupid. How did I not see that? Uh, it's kind of like something out of Total Recall, actually. It really is, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I got 13 mouths to feed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So they've all got earpieces so they can simultaneously react to the way the person they are impersonating is acting. Oi! <laughs> yeah, I like it. So at the last second, Brant reminds Ethan to take off his goggles, <laughs> yeah. which he stuffs in his coat. That's not going to come in later with a Gigantic sandstorm coming. Right. I mean, I. How also, convenient. Yeah, how that. convenient that you have something to protect your eyes while you're looking for somebody. But I remember watching in the theater going, oh, shit, he's running through that sandstorm, not driving through it because he's got fucking goggles. Right. So maybe not a big a surprise, but it was kind of funny last minute. Pops him into his pocket, which then, as he's getting frisked, yeah. they pull him out and, they he, they just kinda, it. He's and like, he just kind of gets in What are you going to do? <laughs> so you know, there's no immediate knowledge that the impersonations are going on. So. The facade on the two levels continues. There's a lot of decent camera moves in here from one meeting to the other through the floor. Well, now, Brad
0: Bird actually wanted to uh mechanically have a a camera that went through the floor, but it was just there was no way to do it. Yeah,
1: somebody said, "You know what? We can do this with <laughs> Hollywood magic from the 30s. I don't think we need to <laughs> yeah. put a camera in Drill a hole in the Burj Khalifa's floor. <laughs> right, in the Brad. end. They, <laughs> in the end, they just, yeah. Stop being such a Brad, Brad. <laughs> just ILM'd it. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's nice and convincing. It's a good yeah. convincing cut to get from both sides. But everything's kind of going as expected. But there's a bit more of a standoff between Ethan and Sabine for a second there. I think Sabine got a little wise before you noticed she got wise to what's yeah, happening. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously... <laughs> Nobody's going to be as hot as Tom Cruise and be in this business. It can't possibly be him. <laughs> um, Sabine and Jane uh, eventually hand over the codes. Jane hands over the codes, uh, which are intentionally locked in the briefcase so she can go look for a key to right. stall while Jeremy Renner's looking at the actual documents for it to print. He's doing the photocopying with his right. eye. Yeah. And uh, I like how he's kind of you know, got the hmm looking at his face. Mm hmm yes yes, mm-hmm. yes yeah nice, nice. Thank, thank god he didn't have to blink his eye every time <laughs> well he does have to blink to take the picture yeah but i mean they didn't they didn't amp it up
0: yeah i mean thank god there was no sound effect that went along with Cause it
1: because that I might as well just gone
2: <laughs>
1: that's all i think about when somebody's got a fake contact lens it's a six million dollar man jane realizes uh that it's a code, not a key. tee <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: That's not suspicious at all. <laughs>
0: oh, the briefcase I came with? <laughs> yeah, it's like I can't remember. Ass- it's like you're an assassin. <laughs> you know what this,
1: <laughs> right. this briefcase is. I'm opera. only good at killing people and looking hot. I'm not really good <laughs> at remembering things. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Give me a break. This gives Benji a second to swiftly take away the diamonds that they're going to pay Sabine with. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. The real Sabine. The real Sabine. And head out with the cart and his fake inflatable arm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) From there, things start to go very smoothly with Jane and Winstrom. But in the other room, Sabine gets her diamonds, sees a fancy contact lens, which, damn it, it that should happen in every movie. Yes. Those things are so overly complex, they, they can't look like a human eye, and yeah. yet this is the only movie I've ever seen where somebody gets busted for having a fake that's lens. That's why this movie rules. Yes, because Brad Bird's basically thinking, that thing is so stupid. It's got to work. I'm going to call it out. Well, so, yeah, he said, it has to work for the plot, yeah. but I'm still going to make it a problem. Right. And that's like, brilliant, Brad. Brilliant. Um. So seeing the contact lenses, she tells her guards to kill the both of them, and she flees. Winstrom kills Lanaker out in the hall after getting the codes from the, the fake Sabine. That's maybe the darkest part in this yeah, whole movie. It's right up. He's like, yes, yeah,
0: oh, yeah, uh... He said, doesn't he say you can meet your family or yeah, something like that? It's, like, it's like, oh my gonna, god, yeah, well,
1: you killed this whole yeah, family! Yeah, he says, you know, yeah. Basically, he says you said you would release my family. Yes, we would release your family. Just, a, foop, foop, You can tell them in person, and then off he goes. Yeah, and this is that's the one interesting thing too, because Ghost Protocol does not have a lot of
0: dark. Death in it not at all really you know it's almost the opposite of mission impossible 3 right and so to have that kill in there is
1: it's kind of funny that they that they even have it in there well and then i i think it's there because you think it's winstrom that's doing it but then you realize later that that wasn't winstrom it was right it was that it's hendrix it's hendrix with a mask on so now you're getting the whole thing is to say oh shit Hendrix is, is nuts. Yeah, it's totally He's nuts. He's psychopathic. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's the whole reason it was there. You wanted that cold-blooded moment to realize that the guy that's a bad guy is actually a pretty bad dude. Meanwhile, Ethan is yelling at Jane not to kill Sabine because she really, really wants to. <laughs> and he really, really knows that. Um, but for some reason, he thinks we need to keep her alive. Sabine gets the elevator and Jane heads after her. And at this, during this time, Ethan gets Benji to slow down the Windstrom elevator so that he can catch up while Brant takes care of the last guy with a level of killer efficiency that Ethan is. Uh, noticing yeah. from this bookish it's like, wait a minute, identifying this is an guy. analyst? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. And he does the classic uh, pull the slide off of the gun before you can shoot it kind of thing and disabling yeah. you guy then, hi yeah hi hi kick you, sir. <laughs> um, the only thing he didn't do is pull out one of those magic Marvel bows and get ready to go. <laughs> but I was waiting and he didn't. So I was slightly disappointed with that. Anyway... Uh, Ethan makes it down just after Winstrom was about to catch him at the escalator but then magically Sidorov shows up and they have a little conversation
0: I you know it's funny this is this is the moment where I'm like wait who does Sidorov work for like is he part of Interpol or is he just a Russian agent? I think he's just a Russian agent. And that's... I think he is. I, th- I think that's. I think he's just like Russian intelligence, but he's like the quote-unquote good Russian intelligence, right. Person who has noble intentions or something like that, right?
1: I mean, he's he's clear there to catch a guy that he thinks is an enemy of the state. Right, Um, to bring him back to punish him for what happened. Uh, But, I mean, the reason that he's actually there is so that you get the buy-off in Act 3 where everything goes back to normal between Russia and the United States until Ukraine.
0: Well, and it also... You
1: can edit that out if you want to. (laughs) No, I'll leave that in.
0: No, well and it's funny too they give you another moment in just a second here where Ethan disarms Sidorov without lethal. Yeah, exactly. Without lethal cunning, just sort of like taking him out temporarily. Right, just of- enough to get away. Yeah, as almost like this kind of sort of message like, hey, I'm on your side. I'm just trying to get you out of my fucking way so I can go chase
1: after the real bad guy. Right, exactly. And I mean, he tells them that in the hospital that they're on the same side. Right. And that's kind of the throughput here is this is how we're going to repair things at the end between the U.S. and Russia after all the dealing is done. But uh, Ethan does get away from him. Winstrom sees what's going on behind him, unfortunately, and makes a break for it. (laughs) The the revolving door thing was kind of funny. (laughs)
0: Yeah, the fact that he couldn't, he's so noble Minded that he couldn't possibly push these elderly people out of the way right, right. that are stuck in the revolving door. He has to go all the way around. Right. Losing precious <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah. But
1: that's just how he, that's how he rolls. That's right. He's a, good, not, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. So meanwhile, while all of this is happening, Brant is trying to help Laneker who's bleeding out and Benji's been tasked to hold Sabine at gunpoint. So that Jane won't kill her. And you already know this is going to go off the rails pretty <laughs> this quick. Is, this is like when they gave chunk in the Goonies,
0: the, <laughs> the frame and they just waited for him to drop it because they knew he would drop it eventually. Exactly.
1: That's what you're waiting for. <laughs> Cause the moment that Benji looks away, she completely disarms him and not with her charm and beauty, but you know, roundhouse kick to the face <laughs> or something to the equivalent. Yes. Um, At this point, Jane gets into a full-on brawl with Sabine, which ends with uh, hmm, Sabine getting kicked out of a 130-story window that's not there. Oops. Oops. (laughs) That... Can I just say, though, that
0: fight is really good. Yeah. Like, that is such a great, just gritty... It's
1: uh, a knockdown, drag out, punchy-punchy. Yeah. And, it,
0: and it's one of my favorite types of fights in movies where I love it when people use just whatever's around, and especially Sabine's character is just grabbing whatever she can find yep. to, like, try and hit Jane, you know, with whatever. Like, she grabs the the
1: corkscrew,
0: and yep. I, I love that street fighter type.
1: Absolutely. That, well, that, that's the whole appeal of Atomic Blonde. Exactly. Right. Totally. Totally. And John Wick and everything else. Use what you got. And yeah. then when then when you're done with what you got, you use what's around
2: you. Right. Yeah.
1: So off goes uh, probably the most depressing death in the entire movie. <laughs> um, sadness. One Whee! single... Here. Meanwhile, <laughs> Tom Cruise, in a surprise acting moment, is running. <laughs> Not Tom Cruise running. It never happened. Tom Cruise is running, everybody. Stop the presses. Alert alert the news agencies. Tom Cruise is running in a movie. <laughs> so Ethan is chasing after Winstrom as we see the giant sandstorm about to close into it, the the whole thing. And again, this is where my argument comes in. People knew this sandstorm was coming. And, and they live in a place where sandstorms happen.
0: They're all just like sort yeah. of out and about. I'm yeah. just not having a oh, day. I'm selling
1: my stuff. <laughs> oh, what is all this sand?
0: Ah! <laughs> also, I actually find this chase less believable than the sequence on the Burr's. Yep. Mainly because, especially the driving part. It's like, you can't see shit. There's no way you can see anything a foot in front of your windshield.
1: No, and so, <laughs> the, so the, the MacGuffin, I won't see the MacGuffin, but the thing here is that the briefcase that has the documents has a slight radioactive... Right, he's got the tracker so on So he, he's following it through the tracker, which I don't know about you guys, if you remember Tom Toms and Garmins from 2011, <laughs> were only good for about 500 feet, right? Now they've got that dialed into about 100 now, or in some even 50. But back then, where your arrow was, wasn't exactly where you were. Right. It's and yet not, this
0: one is spot on. Just pinpoint accurate.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you can actually navigate in a sandstorm and know where you're going. Yeah, I don't and, know.
0: And it also has a Google Maps component to it.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Showing this, you exactly where that entrance, where that car is going to come out, and you and,
0: can go the other way. And strangely, for the making the plot work, this is a device that actually works. Yeah. Exactly the way it's supposed to work, with right. efficiency.
1: Right, exactly. The one piece of pretty much actual technology, I might add. Yeah. Maybe not the radioactive tracking, but the GPS portion of it right. is a real thing, so maybe that should work. But anyway... Tom Cruise is running after him. Uh, we see the shadow of the storm coming until uh, it finally engulfs him, and then everyone is in the thick of it. Oh, by the way, I have a fun fact on this. Okay. So, you know the that
0: helicopter shot that looks down as the shadow is coming? Yeah. And you see Tom, he's just a little ant running? Yeah. That is one of three shots that is not Tom Cruise. Really? That is somebody else. Tom Cruise was with second unit that day,
1: oh.
0: and that is... Somebody else running.
1: Was he mimicking the proper running style?
0: I have no idea, but hopefully they were far enough off the ground that nobody
1: noticed. I guess that's probably true. (laughs) Anyway, continue. No, that's great. Uh, (laughs) So uh, Ethan loses him from second, and then suddenly Winstrom hits him with his car. This is always my favorite thing when Ethan Hunt gets hit with a car. (laughs) Um, Ethan manages to hang onto the car, TJ Hooker style, (laughs) gets onto the top. Uh, (laughs) Now, as we get into the running thing, one has to question, as I think you pointed out earlier, how does anybody outrace Tom Cruise in a foot race? Dude,
2: all
0: the, the whole movie, Hendrix outruns him. I, I, how is that
1: possible? Th-
0: there's no way. There's, there's no, no way. way that, it's, that It's less believable than the burr sequence. Yeah. Less absolutely. believable than even chasing somebody in a sandstorm. Yeah. It's less believable than anything else is outrunning Tom
1: Cruise. Yeah, at all, period. <laughs> and yet, there he goes, and then when he pulls the Winstrom mask off, you find out that it's it's Hendrix anyway, you're just like, bullshit. <laughs> I, well, all I did, I'm like, that is
2: horseshit.
1: <laughs> I mean, he might be, Michael Mike Nyquist might be in really good shape, I or was in really good shape before he passed away, I don't right. know. But nobody runs faster than Tom Cruise. Nobody does. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> because when he's running, he is 113% into running. That's right. You know? He is all in it. But, you know, for the sake of the moving, yes. uh, we, we continue to go on the assumption that Hendrix is faster. <laughs> also, how does he manage to have such good vision without the benefit of the goggles that he didn't have in his well, he, pocket? Yeah, I mean, he had sunglasses, but they're not goggles. No, the stuff would have been creeping in over the edges yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, I don't know, but it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, so, Ethan starts punching and grabbing a Windstrom. Winstrom veers the car under uh, this thing and forces Ethan off of the car. He falls away, tears away a piece of the mask, and da-da-da! It's not Winstrom. It's Hendrix. Well, we don't know that yet. No. We don't. We don't know it until he fully pulls off the mask. Oh, because there's just that chunk, right? Yeah, that's just yeah. sort of dangling like in there. V, like in. Oh the, yeah, yeah. The, the, like the lizard. Like in V. The the, yeah, but there's no lizard person there's under no there. Lizard person, unless that guy... Unless, Thank God. Yeah. Wait a minute. What if Hendricks? <laughs> what if Hendricks is a V lizard, and it was a mask over a mask over lizard face? Oh God. Let's not discuss. All right. Yeah, that's. A, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. Anyway, Ethan steals another car. A convertible BMW, I might add, (laughs) that he steals as the owners go chasing after the top. Because again, we don't live in a place with sandstorms and high winds, so naturally we're going to try and put the top down on this car while we're in the middle of a sandstorm. No planning whatsoever. No. And I guess maybe they were trying to put the top up and it got caught. That makes a little more sense. Yeah. But at the end of the day, now we have a full convertible. Um, Bushy people don't plan for anything. I I guess they (laughs) don't. I, I guess they don't. He pulls out uh, the tracker and to see where Winstrom is going. And apparently, as Ben pointed out, it's the Google Maps Dubai version. He knows exactly how all the highways are going to work. I'm surprised it didn't have like ways attached to it to tell you what traffic was like. Right? And he sees that, the, that Winstrom's car is taking an exit. Yes. Further ahead of him to get off, so he basically goes up the other direction of the exit. of the exit because you know at this point in time there is no more traffic on this highway. <laughs> nobody's getting off the highway apparently. Of course is what it is. Um, and <laughs> and nobody's stuck there either. Nobody is stuck there. Everybody's moving. Tom's weaving in and out, honking horns. You know, uh, but why are people driving in a sandstorm? I don't Did know. you not know a sandstorm <laughs> was coming? We knew it was coming listen all i'm gonna say is
0: specter pay attention this is how you amp up the tension is you have other people on the road not just the two people chasing each other (laughs) no i found i found yet another way to bring it right back to that
1: no right back to our specter debate no (laughs) they needed only two cars for that get over it ben anyway so Ethan figures out he's coming out, jumps over, gets onto the same ramp that he's on, and runs his really pretty BMW into Winstrom's car, which makes me sad. (laughs) But as he's limping out of his own, particularly because he jumped out of the car before it hit, he goes over and and in an accident that nobody should have walked away from, (laughs) Yeah, Winstrom is magically gone. And staggering away as well. Staggering away as well. And then we're back to the foot race again as everybody's hobbling against one another. Winstrom hops onto a conveniently passing truck very adroitly <laughs> yeah. for someone of his apparent physical uh, ability. Pulls <laughs> off the mask. Yes, of course. And then realizing that he's Hendrix. I
0: do not understand why Why make it Hendrix. I don't get it. The, the only reason why you would make it Hendrix, like you said, is to make him... He's the person that does the lethal thing of killing Lineker. It's to establish...
1: How, how, how cold, psycho cold, nutsy cuckoo he actually is. Exactly. That's the only reason it's there. It's the only reason.
0: There's no other reason why he would be in a mask this entire time.
1: Yeah. And, and fortunately, this movie is full of those A to Z things without any of the corresponding alphabet in the middle to give you any context for it. Yes. This is a plot point we couldn't think our way out of, so we're just going to do it this way, even though it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But uh, it is what it is. Will we have any answers? Maybe. I mean, we're going to have plenty more to say, but just not right now.
0: That's right.
1: (laughs) Because. It's a long one, folks.
0: That's right. Well, you know, it's my favorite Mission Impossible movie. Of course it's two parts. Yeah, we're
1: out here trying to think of you guys. That's this could right. be a four-hour one if you wanted to sit down for four hours, but Ooh. why not give you a little little intermission?
0: Yeah, a little, little pee break. A little
1: pee break. you get some popcorn. That's right. You, you, know, just, you know, pick out uh, some raisinets or maybe some milk duds that's right whatever you need to do that's right and then come on back in and uh, listen to the second part of this uh, mission impossible ghost protocol joint indeed
0: indeed we will just leave it at that for now you'll just have to tune in for next week
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and with the- <laughs> Will Ethan save the world? Will Benji finally get to wear a mask? Will Brant actually pull out a bow and arrow and shoot somebody with it? Tune in to our next episode and see Ghost Protocol, the second part. Of something else. That was terrible. Maybe you have the answers, listeners. And if so, you can always get a hold of us by giving us a little bit of listener interaction. Mm, In addition to maybe we do love ourselves some listener interaction, right? Uh, Yes, we do. (laughs) You can uh, see if you can answer any of those questions we've left off on. Or you can just tell us how much you like the podcast or if you've got any ideas or anything you'd like to throw at us. Correct our foreign uh, word pronouncements. <laughs> yes, um, we, we love to be corrected. It's fun. <laughs> the whole the whole point of this is for you to tell us how good or bad we're doing our jobs. Exactly. So we don't take it personally if you tell us we're doing our jobs badly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, coming in. Come on interact in with us uh, You can hit us on email at cicdeaddrop at gmail.com. Or you can get us on Instagram at Central Intelligence Cinema, separated by underscores. And of course, there's the inimitable Twitter <laughs> handle of at CIC SpyPod, where you can interact directly with the agents of the Central Intelligence Cinema podcast. Indeed, indeed. And and, and also... Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, hey, and while you're at it, if you're going to interact like this, if you're going to follow and share and you know let all your friends know about us, why not give us a, a five-star review? Um, whether it's on apple podcast spotify or, or wherever you get your podcast that way our show gets uh shown quicker when people search for this silly hashtag silly spy shit that we do
1: absolutely
0: and with that i'm ben and i'm jason and the cic will return with more missions, more martinis and more mayhem